Uh, this is Eric Donovan, artist of Constantine, Mimetic, Cognetic, and Big Trouble, Little China, variant artist. I'm listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Very sweet. Was it? Yeah. Not Why, salty. You, no, you don't believe me. Lowry, Mike Lowry. Oh, on my end, it sounded like might it's spicy. So I'm just um, wasn't that bad. Okay. Sunday, bloody Sunday. Aw. <laughs> Who's the intro tonight? Shakespeare's sister? No. Guess uh, the on blonde. What we got? No. Rosetta Junior. That was last week. Nice. We got some ministry this week. They probably won't be able to hear it. Should have got an intro from uh, from Renegade. Oh the yes, yeah. the winery. Yeah. Would have been nice. Hi, I'm. Dude, talk Chip. about small. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> We're not buying your wine because it's just Yeah. <laughs> talk about small world. We're at the dinner last weekend with uh, another couple, and we're chit chatting about. My little, uh, our little trip to, uh, to Frazetta. Turns out the wife of the other couple is going to Renegade this coming weekend. Look oh, at that. Small because her world. brother is getting remarried and her brother's soon-to-be wife, so I guess her future sister-in-law is from that area and I guess they're doing some kind of like you know, little bachelorette jammy jam type of thing. So I felt bad because I was within milliseconds of shredding the place. Ah. Uh. And then she's like, oh, we're going there next in like two weeks. So I totally had to like 90 degree it <laughs> and be like, oh, it's a really great looking place. It's like set up really well. It's got a cool vibe. <laughs> and when so she listens to this, you're covered oh, yeah. blown. <laughs> yeah, because she's a regular EOC listener. I disagree with you on that Batman SS. <laughs> Whatever. Oi. We are, thankfully, right? Thankfully. Thanks, Mother Nature, you fucking bitch. Snowpocalypse. Hey, everybody. It's that time again. It's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 528. And I'm Vince B. Ooh, it's been so long since I heard your voice. You are Vince B. And I am David A. Price. Indeed you are. And I'm the other half, because I'm Keegan-Michael Key. Aww. <laughs> You're not a half of anything. You're unique. You're Jason Wood. I'm more of a third of a power of a power trio, yes. We're Rush. We we are the Rush of of comic book podcasting, but that's not a bad thing to be. Cool. I don't want to be Getty. No. No, I don't. I don't. No. That, that's a member of Rush, I assume. Oh please. Oh god. I think you should reach into your wallet and pull out that geek cred card and just throw it out the window. Wait, you, you need. Wait, wait. Liking Rush is geek cred? Yes. You don't know any members of Rush? I couldn't tell you the first thing about Rush. Neil Peart's... Except that they're from Canada, maybe? Didn't know that either. Oh, okay. my goodness. Uh, David, what do you say we just wrapped this up this week? <laughs> and I'm Getty Lee. There and I'm go. Alex <laughs> Leifson. Hello. Bye to our snow dog. I'm not sure what the geek cred has to do with it. What is a... There, because a, Rush... A hairband have to do with geek cred. I, first oh. of all, Rush is not a hairband. It's <laughs> true. Oh, my God. It just... The hits keep coming. Kill me. Freaking... Just kill me. I'm moving on. I, it's too painful. Oh, well, wait a minute. 
I'm gonna look up a picture of them. Let me see if there's any hair band going on here. Well, I mean, there's, there's a not. Mullet. They're back in the day. Oh, dude. They don't. They're Straight not. Up hair. They no, are but not. It's not. No, hair band is poison. Hair band is rat. Cinderella. Those are hair bands. Yes. I think our our just our. <laughs> I think our line for what we consider a hair band is vastly different. And Russia's well, nowhere there's, near there's it. Well, what is an actual hair band, and then what you make it up. So I there's uh, yeah, I guess that is a bit different. These guys are three milliseconds away from being Slayer. <laughs> The Slayer's not a hairband either. I think he means, I Wait, think they're he not a hairband either? No. No, Striper is, but I don't... All right, Slayer well. is thrash metal. All right. Like, they're all the same. It's like they have hair, so they're hairbands. They're but not. They're not. A hairband. They're, all they're white, not all the same. They're all white, long-haired <laughs> dudes who made music back Bruno Mars in the day. Is a hairband. One last <laughs> time for the masses. You don't have to be uh, horribly uneducated in your rock and roll history. <laughs> To get cheap comics and bric-a-brac from the previous catalog, all you need to do is go to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get everything in that thick-ass catalog for a mere fraction of the retail price. Such as Big Deal Number 1, Amazing Spider-Man Number 800, 100 pages, the uh, Dan Slot takes his bow with uh, Go Down Swinging, Nine ninety nine cover price, which is really not all that bad for a hundred page comic these days. But because you are in the know, you can get it for four dollars and ninety nine cents. It's amazing, is it not? It is. It is. And the other side of the street, our buddies at DC are serving up DC Nation number zero, which will have a bunch of stories that will appear only in this comic book and will not be reprinted in another comic book. Okay, before each series collected editions. Only the first printing of this issue will have a cover price of 25 cents. This issue was shipped with four covers and uh, just in time for free comic book day. This special comic priced at just a quarter features three brand new stories from a lineup of superstar talent. And each tale serves as a prelude to some of the biggest DC events of 2018. You got some Batman uh, with Tom King and Clay Mann. Looks like you got uh, Scott Snyder, Jorge Jimenez, James the Fourth, Joshua Williamson for the prelude of Justice League, No Justice, and Brian Michael Bendis with Jose, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez on Man of, Man of Steel. That's crazy. And because you know a lot of things, most notably how to get your books cheaper than everybody else, you're going to get this for $0.12 at dcbservice.com. Lastly, my man, swinging from trees, Lord of the Jungle, Tarzan, meets up with Red Sonia, and it's written by Gail Simone. With art by Walter Giovanni, the first issue of this thing is a $3.99 standard issue cover price at Dynamite, but you, Mr. Poindexter, $1.99. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books all shipped right up and safe and secure, unless your kids leave them out in the rain, to your door. It, nothing better. Absolutely nothing better. DCBService.com. Go. Nice. I'm with it. You with it? You down speaking with of, it? S- s- going to go. It. What you drinking, Vince? I am drinking the wine that shall not and cannot be named, because I... <laughs> I don't know where it's from. Lucille Ball wine. Yeah, 
Lucille Ball wine? It's a Desi Lou of wines. There you go. I have. Look, see, I'm looking at the jug now. Stopping the grapes. There's only half a jug left. So half oh, a jug. so you'll have that finished yeah, in, in, jug. in a half hour. I'm okay. pouring that. That I have a jug right now. It's like Saturday what night. What you drinking, Jason? I am drinking Corona Light. Each. It was that or seltzer, buddy. I'm not disparaging your choice of uh, libation. I just said each. Whatever. You drink what you want. Drink. Like, I can't make it into anything more than you already are. You've just proven that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this... um. This is a shout out and a thank you and, um, well, huge, massive Womba thanks to our pal, Caleb Alexander McKenzie. This, um, I received a package, uh, the other day and in it were two bottles of wine that I have never (laughs) seen nor tried before. And I haven't opened either of them yet because a, they arrived Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, Thursday before we recorded. Uh, so they were outside all day. So they were chilled and I'm not down with drinking chilled red wine. And I wanted us all to be together as much as I love Daniel and Mario and Zach. I wanted to crack this open when the three of us were together. Uh, so this is called augment. And of course it's aged in bourbon barrels. Mm. It is a Cabernet Sauvignon Mm. from California, uh, we've brought back the old technique of aging wine in bourbon barrels, a common practice decades ago, through this Cabernet Sauvignon with the purpose of augmenting, in quotes, or increasing the taste and aromas of this great California wine. The aging process delivers attractive vanilla notes with hints of black cherries and gentle spiciness. Expect a rich Cabernet Sauvignon to enjoy with red meat, pork, lamb, or burgers, especially cooked on the grill. I am not having any of those tonight. I had salmon, and I have not, um, I haven't tasted this yet. So you will hear me sip it shortly, and and you'll find out if I love it or not. The other bottle I will save for another episode. So thank you so very much, Caleb. I really, really appreciate it. Why don't you uh, slack me the information on that bottle later on? Because I think I want to get that. You got it. Thank you. It smells amazing. So do you. I do. <laughs> I've been able to shower for my third time today. There you go. Well, it is the weekend. He showers more during the week. Exactly. You know, yeah, I got it. You know, every, every, oh, it's 15 minutes. All right, let me hop in. <laughs> Seriously. It's like you have uh-huh. a layer of slime that you have to watch <laughs> up. S-L-U-G. Jason, what are you drinking? Oh, we know what you're drinking. I already yeah. talked about it. I already talked about it. Okay. I rambled on for so long. We're back to the drinking. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So. Jason, it's good to have you back. We missed Thank you. you. Vince. We missed mm-hmm. you last episode. I mean, we had some funs. We sure did. Oh, no doubt. You had a, you had a trifecta of, of badasses yeah. in my stead. But it's you know, it's always nice to go home. Who knew that Mario was was he really is a man of many talents? Improv, comedian, singer, reality TV show. Yep. None of which he brings uh, to this to any episode. No, but, but this week unveiled he's a, a high-end vegetarian caterer. Who knew that? When did this happen? He, he catered, catered friend's his friend? friend's wedding, and it looked yeah. freaking phenomenal. It really did. That doesn't surprise me. Right. No, he's definitely a foodie, but still, yeah. I, I was... Yeah. I mean, wow. It was, uh, it was probably the most visually appealing vegetarian... Um, 
like meal I've ever seen. No, I mean like in terms of all the different courses. Speaking for just... someone who was a vegetarian for a week and a half. So. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know what's up. Believe me. It's a hard road. <laughs> no hard traveling heroes. <laughs> Green, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Woodrow. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that would be some crazy ass talk to be a fly on that wall. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So let's go into the comics here. What y'all got? Jason, I well, think you should go first because oh, unless you wanted to. Exactly what I was thinking. No, I'm yeah, saying no. I haven't heard from him, so he absolutely has the floor. For yeah, me. it was a, it was it was a kick in the nuts to not be able to uh, partake on Thursday because the snow of the last two weeks had of and the subsequent uh, power outages um, had availed had given me time to to read a ton. Um, so I mean I've probably read more comics in the last two weeks than I've read in any two week span in years. I, I don't I don't remember the last time I, I had the chance to sit down and read this much. Um, but um, I, I thought that uh, in spite of everything that I've read across the gamut from Marvel DC to Image to to uh, other good stuff, I, I really thought that um, the take away from my last two weeks were the uh, graphic novels that I read, uh, and there were many. And so I'm going to hit you up with a couple of those, um, and I'm going to I'm going to start with one that uh, that I don't know. It's it'll be interesting to see whether this is something that'd be up either of your alleys, but um, but it was one of the books that I had purchased um, in hopes of of reading it last year because it would have helped fill in um, some, some blank spots on the O'Closkers last year, more than ever. I think we all struggled with uh, nonfiction as a, as a category. Um, we really pretty much didn't have anything between us to, <laughs> to talk about. That's very true. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and to be fair, I think I'm, I'm more apt to read nonfiction comics each year, at least a That's few fair. than you guys. Yep. Um, but yeah, I didn't have anything. So, so this was one that certainly would have, um, been worthy of consideration. Then I just didn't get around to it, even though I owned it. And that was, um, hostage by Guy Delisle. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with Guy, he has put out a ton of, of, um, graphic novels. I think mostly, if not always through drawn and quarterly as is this book. Um, but um, his his prior books have been um, named for the places where they take place, like Pyongyang, Jerusalem, um, and essentially they were looks into his personal experiences in those places because his wife is a doctor for Doctors Without Borders, and so he and his his family have traveled with her all over the world while she does the humanitarian stuff, and he has. Uh, he has made a bunch of books about his experiences and his family's experiences. Um, and I've read, uh, I read Jerusalem, my own Pyongyang. I haven't read it. Um, and it was good. It was good. Um, but this is a bit of a departure. This, uh, is, it, it's called hostage because through his relationships with doctors without borders, um, he ended up meeting up with, uh, Dr. Christophe Andre, who was also a, uh, worked with with doc, uh, worked with doctors uh, without borders uh, in a like a more of a, a managerial capacity. And in 1997, Andre was kidnapped from the headquarters um, and was a hostage in, Ch- in Chechnya 
for um, nearly a year. A true story. This actually, you know, 1997, this all actually happened. So um, Andre ended up sitting down with Delisle and uh, telling his, his story to him verbatim. And Delisle turned it into a 430-page graphic novel of the account. Uh, so uh, it's it's essentially it, the book picks up on the night that uh, that Andre is is kidnapped, and it uh, goes all the way through the process until the uh, spoilers, but until he is released successfully released and returned home. Um, yeah, it's four hundred thirty two pages, and uh, um, it's it's a fascinating account. Um, the for four hundred thirty pages, I think the mas the, the mastery of this book is that, and Vince, you know, you could maybe speak to this as the person who's most definitively the artist among us, certainly. Um, this is basically a story about nothing happening for most of it. And, like, that's the power of the story. The, the Andre is essentially, for the bulk of his kidnapping, in a locked room with a mattress and a radiator um, and nothing else, uh, save for very periodic... Uh, changes of venue, whether it be going to the bathroom to wash up every two weeks or um, occasionally uh, one of his kidnappers would come in and offer him a cigarette or a, a drink of champagne. Um, but, but essentially it's, it's, it's the mundane. It's, it's the monotony of being in this uh, unending, uh, you know, nothingness for months upon months. And, you know, that's a, a challenging thing to make provocative, in a long form, uh, you know, graphic novel where you're really earning your keep, so to speak with the visuals, you know what I mean? Right. So I got to give Delisle tremendous credit because I got to tell you, I read this 400 plus book page book in, I, I mean, I don't know, two, two hours, an hour and a half, two hours. I mean, I couldn't put it down. I, I sat down and read it and, and, and didn't get up from the seat until it was finished. Um, and it's, it's so powerful in its simplicity. Now, for those that don't know Delisle's work, uh, he has a relatively simplistic style. Um, you know, he's he's not a groundbreaking jaw on the floor uh, illustrator. Uh, the, the 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 characters are are you know they're not stick figures by any stretch, but but they're they're simplistically drawn. Um, and, and certainly because of the story, the the, the backgrounds by ne- almost by necessity are, are bare. Um, it's it's largely for the most part six panel grids. Uh, although five or six, depending, but but not a lot of he's not doing a lot visually uh, in terms of the the craft to blow your mind. I mean, this isn't a book. Uh, there's another book I hopefully have time to talk about later, which is just the opposite, where the the visuals are just uh, the visuals alone, regardless of what you think of the story, make it a must own. Um, but this is just a very effective look into what is a truly unique experience of this guy having been kidnapped. And the thing I found fascinating about it is that I didn't know anything about this 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 real life incident. Um, but what I find fascinating is that Delisle captures the normalcy of the event. You know, this wasn't a situation where he was kidnapped, say, by uh, Muslims, terrorists that were trying to use him for for you know political exchange of others, or for uh, he wasn't he wasn't tortured. He he was he wasn't horribly mistreated like a prisoner of war. He wasn't interrogated. Uh, he was kidnapped for a very specific purpose, which I won't get into, but in essence was was locked up in someone's apartment in Chechnya and relatively as much as someone that's kidnapped can be well treated. Um, yes, he was 
he was held in a room, um, but they he was well fed. Um, people were polite to him. Uh, they didn't mistreat him anytime he had a need for something. They 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 catered to it. Uh, they basically left him alone. Um, and then the interactions were by necessity, but when they did interact with him, it was never, he didn't fear for his life really for the majority of, of his, of his time. Um, which is a remarkable thing because I think when we all think about kidnappings, especially in, in develop developing nations, you know, you think of it as a harrowing thing where they're lucky to get, a, they're, they're lucky to be alive and it every day is a, 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 could be their, their last. And, and this was, was just the opposite. It was so carefully depicted to be just mundane and, 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 and that being the hardest thing to handle because he didn't know why he was there. You know, at first he's there for a day or two, he's figuring it's a kidnapping for money that they're going to, and, and, and there was money involved. Um, but, but it just, it never got to the point where it was, give us the money or we're going to kill the guy or, or we want these favors back in return. It just was, he was, um, just a, an unfortunate pawn in a, a very commonplace occurrence in that part of the world. Um, and it ended in a very mundane way. Essentially, he 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 got free, and I'll, I'll leave the details of how he gets free to those that want to read the book. But he gets free, and he goes home, and and lives a normal life beyond that. And and you know so much so that he gets to articulate his memories in a memoir to Delisle, who turned it into this. And um, I don't know if if it's it's probably hard to I don't know if I'm conveying how much I enjoyed it in the sense that it's it's a it's an unusual experience for a graphic novel. Um, and I do think that the the brilliance of it is that it is relatively um, not, I don't want to say boring because that's such a, that's a pejorative uh, that it's so calm. That's what it, it's calm for. If, if I were to tell you, Hey, here's a book called hostage about a kidnapping in Chechnya from the nineties, you would probably think like your first vision would go to uh, the movie taken or something like, Oh, when's the hero going to come in or when seal team six going to come and rescue the guy. It's just a calm experience. Like for what it was, which would arguably be the most harrowing, frightening experience of most people's lives. It was an extremely calm occurrence, and Delisle captures that. And the thing that about it is, it kind of reminded me in its own way of, uh, a little bit like with the beat writers. Um, Vince, like you, I know you're a big fan of the beats. Like one of the things I always loved about uh, Kerouac mm-hmm. is the way that he could turn the most mundane thing into such powerful experience. You know, like, like, I mean, I visually remember in Dharma Bums, like when he was essentially starving himself and he would talk with such passion about the preparation of a type of bean, right? Or a mm-hmm. can of, you know, grains. And because there was so such, because the book was so Spartan in, in the details of the human experience, he could make that, which would otherwise be so boring and nondescript into something that you never forget as you read it. Sure. And that's what Delisle does here. The, the the moments of this of of Andre's kidnapping that are different feel so powerful because he expresses to you how rare they were and how calm and boring most most of his days were. He just sat in the room and waited for his two meals, and no one talked to him. And then he'd try and get comfortable falling asleep with one hand chained to the radiator. So and every day would be like that. And then every now and then again, like he got a chance to sit and watch soccer with them one night, or one time they came in and offered him shots of vodka to do with them. But that would happen every couple of weeks for no explanation because he didn't speak Chechnya and they didn't speak English. He, he would or one time he caught a glimpse of of one of the kidnappers, presumably children who lived in the house um, or a, a, a house cleaner came in, whether it be the guy's wife or whoever came in and cleaned up and gave him like a little smile. And it was those, those moments that that were so unusual pop 
and they probably and they popped for him and they were his tethers to not going insane during this period that that he he just longed for those moments of of break from the monotony of his everyday um and it's probably not dissimilar to anyone that's say imprisoned right where every day is the same essentially except for those rare moments when they're not and so i got to give Lyle credit because he does something with the medium um that i think is very difficult to do but maybe lost if you just were to flip through the book you might not really get it unless you dive in and immerse yourself in the entirety of it so this is definitely a book where i would say the the sum of all of the pages visually are far greater than what you might take away from any individual constituent panel if you follow so yeah huge thumbs up i wish i had read this last year it certainly would have been more than worthy as the selection for best nonfiction book of 2017 but uh i definitely if you're into nonfiction, uh i highly recommend this again it's called hostage guide to lyle drawn in quarterly and uh yeah it was a really 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 great experience I have to agree with you. The, okay. The, where you say that uh, uh, you alluded to that's not probably not my bag, and I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I'm guessing you're right. I that does not sound like anything I would want to read. I mean, the mm-hmm. way you present it, it sounds very enticing. But once I get in, and I I, uh, I looked at some of the pages here, I, I I like the style, but I think the subject matter would would probably leave me a little cold. Yeah, I, I, I well, like I said, listen, we know each other all pretty well at this point. Um, I'm not one which, for subtlety, uh, which is not to dig up uh, old wounds, but it's why I was so shocked about your views on Next Wave because I feel like I've, I have a pretty good read on what you each will like or dislike before, right? Before we talk about it, and generally, I think we all have a pretty good hit rate with each other about what we're gonna uh, like and not like. And I'm not sure this is a book that would grab either one of you particularly, just because I can't think of many books like this that I've heard you ever all talk about. Uh, at least uh, that that leaves a memory. So, um, yeah, this this maybe not not your your two cup of tea, but uh, right. But I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that uh, that do like this kind of thing. And if it if this if this is in your your uh, concentric circle of comics interest, then uh, it's certainly a worthy a worthy addition to that that yep. realm. Yep. I think, um, well, particularly. The Last Jedi, but there were some movies last year that I think really kind of opened our eyes to what each of us may or may not groove to. Yes, I would also agree with that. But normally, yes, I think we all do. I think we're all pretty capable of pinpointing or honing in on uh, what, honing in on something that each of us will like. But yeah, I mean, there, there are times where We'll go to the Slack and someone will say, oh, well, Jason's going to hate this. Vince is going to love it when it's actually mm-hmm. the reverse. So, yeah. But yeah, I, which I, you know, I, I do. I love that, that we do know each other well enough where we have a 98% chance of getting it right. But there's yes. still something there that might just be, oh, well, all right. That's because it's. And if if we all knew everything that each of us were thinking, man, this would be pretty damn boring. No doubt. I'm... Yep. You yep. got it. I got some quick hits before we Do get it. Into Make it. it happen. Make it happen. All right. Did you guys read slots number five? Not yet. No. I read number all right. five. Was was number five the last issue? No. I sorry. Have... All right then. Uh, no, I, no I, I, uh, I have it right here, but no, I didn't read it yet. Yeah. Same. I am through number four. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess the only thing I could say is that I did not know that this was a finite series. So it's not the end of an arc. It's the end of the series. Was it originally or just did it not do well? I don't know. But it, it's, it says, um, damn it, now I'm not going to be able to f- uh, keep sending it in. We'll put as much as we can next issue. That's in the text pages. Um yeah, I got the impression that it's not an ongoing from something in this issue. Uh, dip, 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 dip. Uh, we'll see you in March for a slightly exercise issue. And God damn it, where's the line where it says, this is terrible, terrible radio. But um, I'm guessing that uh, da, da, da. I'm, I can't find it. But whatever. There's something that happens in in slots number five that made me kind of laugh out loud in horror. But Mm -hmm. it's it's there. Jason, you talked about verses. Number one. No, I did. I did. You did. did. Yes. Surprise. Surprise. Did you did? I thought it was Jason. Did you read it, Jason? No, I have not. I am batting friggin' a thousand here. You are, Dude, bro. You know, I don't need to have read it. I don't even have no, it downloaded. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if well, I was... That's all right, fine. Then, screw it. I got something I can get into detail on <laughs> because I know neither of you are going to read it. Okay. It is from Titan Comics, written by Alesh Cote. We know this guy, right? Alesh, he's crazy. Um, <laughs> il- he il- is. <laughs> he is. Illustrated <laughs> by Peter Kowalski. I really like Kowalski stuff a lot. Colors by Brad Simpson. It is called Bloodborne. Number one. I have the game. It is uh, adapted. Well, it's not adapted. It it is the uh, the. There's a video game from which all this is either um, extrapolated or interpreted. Uh, I can't really say because I have the game and I've never played it. I got it. Mm-hmm. I, I got it for the Christmas, but. As usual with Mr. Uh, Coat, it is a unique, different take on video game uh, tie-in comics because I've never read one done quite this way. Starts off, you have uh, um, a, a character, we don't get to know his name yet, character on the hunt, and there's a, there's a Victorian gothic slant to it all of the buildings are very uh gothic and and ornate and he he has a long long trench coat on and he's got headgear and you can't see most of you can only see his eyes his his nose and down is wrapped and he he's got uh, the uh the the big boots on and what looks like a musket but it's not and he has this what i'm assuming is his his signature weapon it looks like a scythe. It has a long curved handle, but there's a hinge on the end of it. And there's this giant toothy blade on the end of the hinge that he can flip and flick and slash. And it, it is a, a literally a monster weapon. So he, he he's talking. We get like a, a monologue. And he's like, wait a minute. I've been here before. And he's running through... Um, the city streets, and he's accosted by zombies. Um, there are mummy gargoyles on the side of the building. Like instead of the the ornate uh, additions to 
architecture being, you know, gargoyles. They're they're mummies, and they're they're crouched and their their tongues are hanging out. It's a really cool image. So he slashes the head off one of these zombies, and the head looks back at him, meaning mm-hmm. um, zombies can't be killed in this universe by decapitating them. There are werewolves going after him. There's monster dogs. There are werewolf mummies. Mm-hmm. That that's not something new. Warren did that back in the day, but I haven't seen it in quite a while. So it's it's a mummy werewolf, and he's going through, and he's like, I, I've seen this before. He's killing everything. Everything that, that uh, come he comes into contact with, he's killing them. So he gets to the steps of a church, and there are a bunch of guys dressed similarly to him, and they're all gray. All their skin is like soot gray. And the the main character's skin is pinkish flesh. I don't know why that's significant yet, but I'm guessing it is. So they're talking to him and they're like, Ye seek to escape the hunt. You need to find the pale blood. And they're not pirates, but that's just as close as I'm going to get. <laughs> and, and they, they take, right, ah, here come the pale blood now. <laughs> and they, they take him, they take him to this back room and there's this child. Kind of like Leech. He looks kind of like Leech, but a little more mature, a little older than Leech. He's got a bald head, and it's all dimpled, and this kid's all gray, too. And and the the man's like, we have what you seek. And he's not, I don't want a child. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't need a child. And the, the kid takes a finger and scratches its own arm, and it bleeds white. And he's like, you got to take this kid and get out of here if you want to escape the hunt. You need to escape the hunt. So he's just about to leave. And he tells the kid, stay put, because something's going on outside. He goes out and all hell is breaking loose. There are monsters everywhere. And the, the main character comes into contact with this gigantic, rotten, it's, it's an abomination. It's a huge creature, fangs above and below its jaw it looks like it's wearing a a wig of meat um its rib cage and its midsection are exposed like it's barely there the guts are gone it's all hunched over and he's fighting it he's chopping at it and chopping and the thing gets him on the ropes and it vomits on his head and reduces his skin it it just dissolves all his skin so he the that that beautiful waistcoat that the guy was wearing now houses a skeleton and the kid looks right at the viewer or the reader and you can see the abomination in the kid's eyes and there's a panel at the bottom of the thing it says you died mm. so you get to the next page i'm thinking okay that's the end of the issue but no gets to the next page and he he's in a courtyard with a another ashen-skinned woman and an old man and they're like oh you're back the guy's like what what's going on? He's like, I just want to go to sleep. And she says, you can't go to sleep on the night of the hunt. You got to get back in there. You got to find the pale blood. So he's thrust back into the exact same narrative that he came from. Only he does it a little bit different this time. Instead of going out into the courtyard to fight the explosion of monsters, he takes the kid and he leaves. And then it says to be continued. This was a cool issue. It's it it takes the template or the methodology of the video game. The guy actually respawns in the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool, but like Jumanji. 
I don't know anything about that. The new oh, movie you're so, talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. He, I mean, he disappears, and then he pops up in this, this little setting with a gorgeous gothic house on the hill by kowalski there's step it looks like a little bit like a cross between the adams family house and the, the bates motel a little bit it, mm-hmm. it, you know um long long staircase going up and withered tree like everything in this reality is gray and until when the monsters pop up then everything turns red i like this a lot and it, you know i don't have a whole lot of time to play video games but i may I'm more likely to actually waste a couple hours now with this thing because this seems mm-hmm. like it's right in my wheelhouse. Werewolf mummies? There's the the main difference between Jason and myself. Jason, the minutia of captivity, the mundane, and the me, werewolf mummies. There you go. <laughs> I can't say it any better than that. But it's just beautifully illustrated by Kowalski. Um Titan, like I said, has been floating my boat big time. Yes, the, I would say the past true. two years. Uh, this is nothing different. I, I like this very much, and I, I'm glad I ordered it. The creatures are really well designed too. This could be in the Witchfinder universe mm-hmm. or the um, Baltimore. It's not so much BP- okay. BPRD, but it looks like it could sag into Baltimore. I speak Fair, my language fairly seamlessly. Yeah, it, you would you could mistake this for a Baltimore comic mm-hmm. if, if the the lead character didn't look the way he does. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, everything's dirty and dusty and grimy and um, disgusting, which is great. Sign me the f up. So that's Bloodborne number one. I have more, but it's Dap's turn. It is. It is. Uh, a couple quick hits. Um, because this way someone can pick the room back up when I'm done. Ooh. Uh, yeah, just so that they get off my list. I, I just, I'm, I, I don't want to drag them on week after week, whatever we update mm-hmm. our, our mm-hmm. reading list. Uh, I'm, I don't, I haven't found the second issue yet. I don't know if it just hasn't shipped, but the first issue, uh, John Wick number one from Dynamite. Um, I, the first movie is so good. It is. So you didn't like good. the second movie? I didn't like how um, they, they they showed too much of the magic, and it just oh, it, okay. it kind okay. of um, it wasn't as special by, by by giving so much away. But I, like I mean, there were still some cool moments. But Ruby I think Rose just, and Common, I liked it for what it oh, was. Oh yeah, no, I liked I I I you know in the same way I like some parts of Wanted and and sure. and movies like that. But I you know, just walking down the street and all of a sudden everybody's phone. Is showing, and then, and what really killed it for me is, uh, which I'm sure is why we have to get to the third movie. But just him, him really, literally throwing it all away and and doing what he did in the Continental at the end. It just went kind of against everything that he was fighting for throughout the entire two movies. So just it, it but um, you know, the first issue, it I I love I love the Dennis Cowan and. Bill Sienkiewicz and Betty Brightweiser cover. On my copy, I went with uh, cover B. The it's written by Greg Pak, and it it it's the beginning. It, it's it's before. It's, it's like a prequel. It, it's it doesn't take place after the movies or between the two movies. This is John Wick before um, the 
the marker and and everything like that. It takes place in in El Paso. Uh, it is drawn by Giovanni Valletta and Vince and I. Well, I Vince was with me. I flipped through uh, Giovanni's portfolio at uh, last year's New York Comic Con. He had some pages there, and I didn't want to. Um, you almost go too one. far. I did, and but I didn't. There was no context. I didn't know where what issue it was from. I didn't know you know where where it played into the story and and. There are very few, um, very few things move me enough to want to buy a page of a book that has. This is before the first issue finally came out, so again, it's just one of those things. I mean, if it was, if it was a Chung or mm-hmm. or a, an Olivetti or something like that, where it's like, listen, I never even read this issue, but it's gorgeous and these are characters I know, then yeah, without a doubt. But I had no, no way of knowing where in the story. As as cool as it looked, I just I, I need something there, a reason to to buy it other than just that it it looks cool for a story I haven't read yet that I don't even know if I'm going to like the story. So, um, but this is it's there are definitely John Wickiness to it. There, there's there's there are there. There's a scene, there are a couple of pages where you know he he uh, he has to take care of business, so he's doing what he does, and and it's all it it plays out like it would uh, in a John Wick movie, maybe a little slower because you know you you have to scan the page and 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 so it it just it doesn't um, it may not be as fluid in some regard, but there's still the, the story looks like it's going to be a pretty cool story. I just, it, it's because it, it was solicited and then it was offered again. And it just, it took forever to come out and I'd like to read the second issue and I am pretty sure I ordered it. I just don't know where it is. Um, but after, after the highs of the movies, it, as cool as it is to, to, to see the character in a comic, it just wasn't as, and maybe that's not fair because it would be very hard to live up to uh, the movie, but it, it it didn't knock my socks off the way I wanted it to. Um, that was one. The other was a a crossover that really didn't need to cross over into three different comic books, um, and it probably would have worked in an annual. Uh, but it was the the Super Sons of Tomorrow, which took place in uh, starts off in uh, Superman thirty seven, then to Super Sons eleven, Teen Titans fifteen, Superman thirty eight, and it concludes in Super Sons number twelve. Uh, there were a bunch of uh, creators on this, although in the um, in the Superman issue, uh, it is drawn beautifully by by Jorge um, Jimenez. It it just it looks fantastic. But the it's it's the um, it's basically it's a Dick Grayson of a um, of a different Earth uh, who has to stop John uh, from causing some damage in the future. Uh, or, you know what? It's been so long since I read this. It may not be a different earth. It may be a future to Grayson, who is now Batman, but it's, um, 
the the whole idea of it and, and tying into the Titans and and how how quickly uh, Bruce Wayne is kind of put down in the first chapter. It just it went on too long for me. It it, it I don't um, as cool as it looks in some places. It just the the whole thing tying into the Titans and and someone losing a hand and and there's a rift between the Titans because. Some of them want to kind of safeguard John and Damien, uh, but they're also kind of, the older Titans are kind of teaming with the Dick Grayson Batman because they feel that, you know, he knows what's right. So there's, there's a little bit of a, of an issue. Uh, So there's some, there's some uh, strife within the team. But like I said, that just kind of went on, um, Way too long. But to bring it up, I will say, uh, as kinetic as it was, as, as, as frenzied, as, as maybe even confusing in some parts, uh, I read Savage Dragon number 232, and that was completely a 180 from everything else that I just mentioned, and, and, but in so a good, good way. Right? And it is, it's, man, it's, there's... Um, yeah, I mean, I I just I kind of thought Eric was going to maybe have them go in a different direction based on the end of two thirty one. I, I thought maybe we were going to get some three way action, and thankfully, we, well, maybe not thankfully, but we didn't. Uh, but that's not to say maybe uh, there wasn't something going on in the other dimension where uh, Dragon's son is, but the or other son. Um, or not Malcolm's son, but there's, it was a, yeah, no, it was, I really enjoy the way Larson says, just hits you over the head and says, you'll figure it out. This is a scene change. You turn the page. We're now somewhere else. You turn this page. We're now back here. And it's just like, I, I, so you just kind of, I'm not going to say you have to turn your brain off, but just, just let Larson do what he wants to do. And, and that's, all there is to it yeah he does not belittle the reader's intelligence he's not going to no. say oh we're in Meanwhile, chicago elsewhere. now right yeah exactly, he doesn't exactly. do that he's like I, and, I think you're sharp <laughs> enough to get it right and and you know what as it there was there's there's a big bad in 232 who makes some really good points about uh about sexual predators and and justice and and what uh, what happens to them but uh I, there's a um it was actually it was one of the quicker savage dragon reads in recent memory um uh, and that's it's neither good nor bad it's just it it's i i finished it and it was it it went by pretty quick compared to to previous months but the um and it no, I I just I'm still you know, and, and thanks to Vince, I'm I'm still enjoying uh Savage Dragon after picking it up after years of not reading it. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that's that's um and there and, and I, I enjoyed the letters page because that that's why two thirty two came into my head. Um in in the letters page, kicking off the letters page, uh Larson says that uh 
232. Oh my God. And I love the funnies page. Mm-hmm. This cracked me up. I, 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 I love all these strips, but, um, Larson mentions that, uh, 232, he considers 232 to be a milestone issue. And obviously, you know, if you're an old Marvel head, uh, you know that, you know, the milestone issues are issue 150, issue 100, issue 75. They're just, for whatever reason, if it ends in a five, zero, it's, it's an anniversary issue. But for Larson, 232 is, in quotes, forever lodged, forever lodged in his head. Because that was the issue of the Fantastic Four where John Byrne started his lengthy run. And, and he talks about how when you get to series that have gone on for decades, uh, for, for a long, long time, and have different creators taking over the stories, whereas he's just the same one dude writing, penciling, inking it uh, for all this time. But um, 232 is, is a special number for him. So this was a milestone to a degree. Um, and it made me chuckle because on the Slack, we were talking about fantastic four recently and, and how I need to refill some of the issues that, uh, that I'm missing. Actually, I mentioned it in the, um, in the previous video as well, but it, it's a, uh, but no Savage dragon is still a, uh, a blast and a half and not for you. If you are, I don't even want to say easily offended, but if, if, if you, if you frown on, on sex or curse words, move along. There's nothing to see here. I have some Savage Dragon too, which is weird because not only is it more Savage Dragon, but there's something in the letters pages that plays upon something that you just said. Oh, okay. Yeah. But in 232, my favorite page is when Maxine has the t-shirt on and she's literally dripping yes and she's yep. all, she's all over malcolm and and he's like i'll be back His don't wake the kids up. D- don't start without me and she's like too late she's yeah. <laughs> i mean what well, and in the on the uh in the fourth panel where she's like no no he's right here he just he, he can't talk right now because his mouth is full yeah. i love i i love the dirtiness of yeah. it. it it's just it is a if if you have a slightly perverted bone in your body or if Maxine wants it in her body, it's just one of those things where it, you, you will get a big kick out of it. And, or if you just like points, fun points to Maxine like... for wearing the, the bare naked ladies t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but I got some Savage Dragon. This is a long, long time before the issues that, that issue that you talked about. This is Savage Dragon number 34 and 35. Oh, now why are these issues important? Why are these issues slightly more important than any other issue of Savage Dragon? They're still done by um, Mr. Larson, um, but he has a um, someone come in on these issues to get the character's speech pattern down that he uh, lovingly includes in these issues. It opens in 1952, and you got Hitler, 1952 now, do the math. Hitler's in Romania, and he has a giant battle suit. And of course, it has the big-ass swastika on the back and the front. And he's, he's throwing down with someone, someone who possesses 
the uh, the right hand of doom. He's throwing, uh-huh. he's throwing down with Hellboy. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mike Mignola was brought in on these issues to get really? to get the the Hellboy dialogue down. Um, mm. So Hellboy and and Hitler are throwing down, and Hellboy has them on the ropes naturally. And what Hitler does is he activates the failsafe in his armor, and it goes kablooey. Instead of being captured, he he blows up. Um, and his head separates from his body. And it's picked up by acolytes and, and taken somewhere. But it eventually... Now, now we're back into Savage Dragon continuity. It eventually finds its way onto a giant gorilla who becomes a member of the vicious circle named Brain Ape. You've seen Brain Ape. He's just a giant gorilla with a with a bowl on his head and with an exposed mm-hmm. brain, and that's Hitler's brain. And um, Brain Ape is is on the ropes because he um, had to be patched together, and Cyberface did it, and now he owes Cyberface a favor. And um, he's told, you know, you either you either kill Savage Dragon, or you're going to stay here imprisoned, you know, for the rest of your life. So he's, he has no recourse. He uh, he has to take out Dragon. Meanwhile, and this is how they get Hellboy into it, Cyberface's body's breaking down. He's 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 becoming decrepit and withered, and and it's just like his longevity is is uh, at question. So um, he uses Abner Cadaver, a dude who's fluent in the in the mystic arts and he's managed to escape death himself so he's like help me get back on my feet um abner summons a whole bunch of creatures who have the power to cheat death zombies mummies vampires and they all converge on chicago so you got all these icky nasties converging on one space who enters the picture hellboy and the be well just hellboy not the bprd um, so, and Cyberface is trying everything. He he get he tries to get bit by a vampire to maybe give him some kind of mojo, and it's it's just not happening. But meanwhile, um, Brain Ape takes over Hellboy and Savage Dragon's bodies, and he or he makes them fight. It's a typical two heroes meet. There's no fight at first because it's like, oh, I know you, you're Hellboy. He's like, oh, how you doing, Savage Dragon? Right? Okay. And but um, Brain Ape makes them fight, so they're, they're they're throwing down. There's giant mummies in it. I guess that's the theme for for the me for this week. There's a giant mummy that emerges from a train car, and uh, they're both trying to kick its ass. But the in thirty four, there's a letter in the in the on the letters pages, David, that says that reads, Larry Martyr sent me a copy of issue thirty one. I I have to tell you, I laughed out loud at several spots in the story. That doesn't happen very often, let me tell you. Oh, hey, and congratulations on being the last remaining image partner to do the whole package yourself and stick to doing comic books. I may, I, I take my hat off to you, you big lug. You know who wrote that? Oh, it wasn't Peter David. No. You big lug. Dave Sim. Wow. wow. Yep. Yeah. Well, stands to reason, right? He did 300 himself. 
with uh, a little assist from Gerhard. But more than a little, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And push comes to shove. The, there's a giant sea monster that pops up in in true uh, Moby Dick fashion. Um, the uh, the pair are ingested by the sea monster and have to emerge. Well, first they battle skeleton pirates, and then they emerge out of its anus. They crawl through its its colon and and out its anus. <laughs> and uh, it's just this this is what the medium of comics to me is for. Um, they eventually beat Brain Ape and Dragon. Uh, slams the shit out of him, pulls off his his uh, head bowl, and the brain, the, Hitler's brain, is running away. It has two little tiny appendages at the bottom <laughs> of it, and the brain's the brain's running away. And Hellboy tries like to that. Hellboy tries to shoot it, and he misses. He 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 does uh, two shots, misses, and Dragon's mm-hmm. like, "Man, you suck." He goes, I- "I'll get this," and he pulls a dagger from his back that one of the pirates stabbed him with and he flings it and skewers the brain to the wall. <laughs> but if you ever had to wonder who would win in a fight, <coughs> um, Savage Dragon or, or Hellboy, this will uh, definitively, it, it's no match. Dragon kicks his ass. <laughs> he goes, I thought you'd be a little stronger than this. He's like, well, hmm. sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is dragons. I mean, it's, it's, I was going to say, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, so, number one. (laughs) Number two, I mean, I can see that. Like, Mignola's always made Hellboy mortal in a way. I mean, not, I mean, he's not, he's, he's in fact the opposite of mortal, but you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, like the, the, his universe is, is, is grimy, it's visceral, it's somewhat as realistic as the, as the stories he tells can be. Right. So, I never got the sense that Hellboy or any of the characters, I guess, in BPRD were, were omnipotent, whereas Savage, at least, of he's essentially as strong. He's like a Superman. He could be as, he's as strong as he needs to be for the story, right? Yeah, and he has the regeneration uh, powers. Yeah. Too. So I mean, yeah. he's he's lost limbs. He's lost the majority of his yeah. head, and he's he's. I mean, he's been uh, blown up, and he still comes back. I mean, it's all fantasy, right? But uh, mm-hmm. Abe, Abe Sapien makes a very brief appearance. If you're a fan of old yeah. Abe, it's just this is fun stuff. I, I don't know why I read these. I'm, there they were. I was going through some boxes, and there they were, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, looks good to me." Completely apropos of nothing, but you just made me think of because uh, you talked about the healing factor. I don't want to get into this in great detail, but y'all, I know I've been praising praising Tom Taylor's uh, all new, all different Wolverine. You know, uh, yes. which, well, so <clears throat> just I just it, I just want to make this one aside because I thought it was funny um, in the arc that just wrapped up, which is um, essentially all of uh, all of the. It's a, a cult of people that um, that were uh, the survivors of the victims of Wolverine and all of his cohorts. So all of the you know all the widows and kids and orphans of the people that were killed by Logan and Laura and and Dokken and all those people you know have teamed up to go at them and they've they've created a cult that uh, and they've they've gotten the Muramasa blade, which for those of you longtime Wolverine fans know that the Muramasa blade was created by Logan to be the one thing that could kill him. And it was used um, back in Wolverine Origins to attempt to kill him. Uh, anyway, they, they it's kind of cool. They melt the Muramasa blade down into bullets. Uh, and so the, the they could start taking out all of the uh, the Wolverines, if you will. Um, but just you made me think of it because, uh, you know, they've got Honey Badger now, the little Gabby, the little X-23, you know, clone girl. 
the and and she's very she's the deadliest of them all, but she's also innocent because she's a little girl. And when they realize that uh, that these bullets and stuff can actually hurt them, they what they have to do is essentially if they get shot with it, they have to cut enough of their body away so that the 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 um, the necrosis of this of you know can can be healed over, right? So like if they get shot in the arm, you have to basically cut a, cut your they have to cut their arm off so they can regrow. Um, or they'll die because uh, it just doesn't that that skin won't heal if it's been touched by the blade. So uh, Gabby looks at him. And she's like, "Well, how does that work?" She's like, "If if I'm like cut in half, like do I grow into two me's?" And I just thought that was hysterical because that is such a conceit of like the Wolverine character, right? Like he's been Seriously. destroyed by Galactus, he's been blown up by nuclear weapons, and like he grows back from the most minute cell. And 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 I just think it's great that that Taylor threw that in there like the little girl being like so what actually would happen because like no one ever addresses that in these comics with people with healing factors they should no i know right but i'm saying they don't right like they don't well that's not true there was a thing with deadpool where one of his his appendages grew into be an insane killer version of him but anyway but but (laughs) (laughs) so i see that's funny back to so i want to i want to make vince happy i want to talk some valiant some valiant Vince doesn't. Uh, in, in fact, we took a Q and A with um, with the, the patrons that will maybe we'll hit this this Wednesday I was, at least a little bit. I was just going to Go say uh, before you segged that we had a bunch of questions that our, our patrons. Yeah. So we could cover some of those this episode. All right. Well, I, I mean, there's a lot I want to talk to you guys about because I haven't. Right. So I'm moving on. It. So, but but um, but 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 I do know that this was this this was a question where someone pointed out that you don't. They're surprised that you don't like or make an effort to go see the films the way that Dap and I are. That's the one I wanted to focus on. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. So let's let's before we get into and you answering that question as to the why of that, um, I'm wondering if the announced and and if you guys talked about this on Wednesday, I apologize. No. I haven't listened to the episode yet, but it was announced that Sony, after having a deal with Valiant for several years to no avail, has officially closed. Uh, the deal and will begin production of bloodshot and it will be starring Vin Diesel. Yeah. And now I, I want to hear your guys reaction to that, but, 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 but beyond that, I thought it was kind of interesting because, um, it's going to be directed by, uh, Dave Wilson. And this is his first time directing a movie. So no one, no one be upset if you don't recognize the name, but he is the longtime collaborative partner at Blur Studios is Tim Miller, who is the director of the two Deadpool movies. So definitely I'm intrigued by that. Cause I think, oh, wait, uh, is he directing the second? Because uh, yeah. I thought there was a falling out and, and creative differences. Oh, really? Um, oh, I assume yeah, he, he was. Wanted it, he wanted it to oh, go in one direction, but Ryan and company wanted mm. it to stay in a different direction, more true to the character. And Ooh, All right, well. So you okay. keep talking. I'll look it up. Well, right. so he directed the first one, though, which I loved. Um, which is so either way, I, I did love the first Deadpool and I thought he did a great job. So, uh, this is his writing partner and he's going to be directing the movie, but it's written the screenplay, the script that they're going to use was written by Eric Heisserer, mm-hmm. who in the movie world is best known for his Oscar nominated script for Arrival. Yep. But we know him as the gentleman who wrote one of our collective favorite Valiant works True. of the last few years, Secret Weapons. Yep. So I'm all kinds of excited about this because Heiserer, uh, you know, I didn't know he was a Hollywood scribe, but but I loved what he did with the Secret Weapons. Um, so I know he cares very much about the Valiant comic book universe and knows how to tell the stories. 
Uh, we're all Bloodshot fans. And while I'm not going to say that Vin Diesel is going to ever win an Academy Award, I think he's more than appropriate for the character in this mm-hmm. movie. Because, uh, you know, look, he's he's arguably, I mean, outside of The Rock, probably one of the biggest action stars in the world. I mean, the, the Fast and the Furious movies are as, as commercially successful as anything that's ever happened in film. So I'm all sorts of geeked about this. I think I'm, I'm, I have high hopes for for this uh, this whole idea of Valiant as a Hollywood um, uh, thing finally getting off the ground. Yep. Well, What's that's think? when you uh, told me. I said, "Well, okay, if Vin Diesel is attached to it, that pretty much assures that the thing's going to get made." Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, that's nice. Um, it's a smart choice to go with Bloodshot. Mm-hmm. For their first Valiant movie, think about it. What are they going to do? Archer and Armstrong, Eternal Warrior. Then, then you got a whole backstory that you have to somehow get in there. Um, and even even Ninjak and and Shadowman, they they're not good as as a opening salvo into something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. Like Marvel mm-hmm. played it really smart, and. Um, what was the first? Was it? It was Iron well, Iron Man. Iron Man kicked Iron it off, but before that, it was the, uh, Incredible Hulk. Well, True. yeah. Well, I'm I'm going with Iron Man, but right? Yeah, most people do. So I mean, Iron Man started off little tiny bites. It gave you glimpses into mm-hmm. a, a much bigger world. Where I think that's that's the perfect uh, Bloodshot's the perfect character to do it with. Yeah, you can get into Project Rising Spirit, and then that could be the the open the door into Harada and, and the Syats and it's just, it's great. It's a great way to do it. But yeah. What, and what is cool about that is just like, um, Marvel is able to do with, uh, they, they had their heist movie with Ant-Man. They, they have their sci-fi comedy romp with, with Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. They, 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 you have the buddy movie with, Thor Ragnarok so so they they can even though it's the same you can say it's the same formula or or you're familiar with all the characters that are in these movies they they try to kind of give you a different feel uh and like you just said Vince you 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 start off with Bloodshot which you know if you're a Punisher fan there's your in if if you um there's there's enough there to get people interested in the universe. And then, like you said, with you have your, your Ninjak, you have your Eternal War, you have your Archer and Armstrong. So you can, I mean, your Quantum and Woody, there's your comedy buddy movie. So, but, but that might get lost with everything else. At least if you, like you said, with baby steps, you'll be able to, to get to that. Um, yeah, you can't have it overnight. I think no. that, that was one of the, the problems with DC playing catch up. They did want it overnight. Mm-hmm. And and they just you you got to lay the groundwork. Marvel, you know, I I'm I'm not a gigantic fan of what Marvel has done. I, I like a lot of them. I don't like some of them, but that, that's neither here nor there. But you, one thing you have to you must take away from the Marvel movies it was the the road from Iron Man to Infinity War is a virtuoso performance in subtlety. They. They planted seeds in every movie that led you on and on and on. There were breadcrumbs that just pulled you through this entire universe. It was, I don't think we're ever going to see a progression of movies that as successfully fleshed out this entire universe as what Marvel gave us. You're not going to see that again. 
No. Well, and it's not, and you're, you're not. If you do, it's going to be copycat. Exactly. And, and, and it's going to be so telegraphed that, I mean, we're not that necessarily people are conditioned. I mean, those of us who have been enjoying the Marvel movies from jump, we, we knew, I mean, as soon as you see Thanos at the end of the first Avengers movie and, and, you know, you get the, the hint of the infinity stones, you, you, you know where we're headed. And, and as often as a Captain America or a Thor movie or an Iron Man movie come out, these actors are getting older. They're not going to be around forever. So they have to make some changes. And, and even if they're, no matter, they're hitting all, all the things we as, as fans want to see. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not going to, I mean, as, as, as many Star Wars movies as there has been, there has, they, you haven't had the, the orchestrating of, of the mapping it all out as, as cleanly and, and deliberately. And, and that's why I can't, you know, you, you may want, you may have wanted to have that Edgar Wright Ant-Man movie. You may have wanted Ava DuVernay to, to direct Black Panther. But if if those directors aren't going to work within the system that Marvel set up, because these are still Marvel characters, these are the stories they want to tell, then you have to you have to part ways. You can't as as much as you may want your favorite director to direct a movie for Marvel if the director has his own idea or her own idea for something and it doesn't fit in the story that Marvel's telling, it's, it's not going to happen. And, and I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather them keep going where they're going and, and tell the story they want to tell than just me to get that, that, that cool moment yeah. of, of some director to say, we've, I did. We've, well, we've seen the dangers of that in the comics. We, we, we've seen a shit ton of bad comic books yeah. because they right. were editorially mandated. You, yep. we're, we're just lucky right. that the people in charge of the Marvel franchise have their heads screwed on tight, tightly. If if they didn't, you it would. It's nothing more than an editor saying you got to make Wolverine yeah. have breasts. You know. Well, let's be clear. We got. I mean, let's give all the credit. I mean, Kevin Feige deserves all the credit, right? I mean, he's 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 the guy. He's the guy that runs the studio. He's the guy that keeps that that train rolling and. Probably why he's the guy that's you know considered one of the favorites to be the CEO of Disney in in a few years when oh, wow. when Iger hangs it up. Um, he's he's the guy. Um, you know, I will say too. Um, I remember when when um, when the Ant Man situation, the whole brouhaha happened. And listen, all, all I'll say about that is 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 to your point. I mean, Marvel you, Marvel can't be accused of not giving different directors d- with different voices a chance because um, I mean. It's. It, I have. In other words, I have to put the blame on on the two directors that got balanced, not Marvel, because they must have really had some serious creative differences. And I, I because if you think about some of the directors that have been involved now, I mean, we've we've had Kenneth Branagh, who is a Shakespearean <laughs> actor, who has almost all of his films he's ever directed have been Shakespearean remakes. Do one in Thor. Then you have Taika Waititi, who is an independent comedy guy. You know, and 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 Thor Ragnarok, even to my personal taste, was too funny. I I I didn't particularly care for it as much as I had hoped because it was so funny. But my point is not that not to get rehash personal reviews of Thor Ragnarok, but to say Marvel has given lots of different directors a chance to use their own voice. Hell, James uh, Gunn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure. So so 
James Gunn so was I, a trauma ha- guy of all places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have to I have to put the onus on on Edgar and and uh, and Duvernay for like I have to put the blame on them for it not being able to work out. Like, and look, if they just had strong, you know, what we don't know is did they have a, a line they weren't willing to cross and they just felt it wouldn't be their movie, whereas other directors were more willing to to give in to to creative input. I, I don't know, but but I don't get the sense from any of these directors that have done them that. They 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 feel like the movies weren't what they wanted them to be. Right. And again, like I'll just go to the, I mean Ragnarok. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is a funny movie. I mean, they're legit. It's comedic in many spots, and that's by design because the director they chose to helmet is a comedic director, and he spoke about how he doesn't really hold comic books and comic book lore in very high regard, and he didn't he didn't let the nostalgia overwhelm his sense of what he thinks a movie should be. And um, so you know, kudos to them for that. And I didn't read, I didn't see, I haven't listened to any of the commentary for, for Age of Ultron. I do know that, uh, I don't think the second, Joss's second Avengers movie went as, as well as maybe the first one did. Um, so I don't, I'm not trying to get into the whole backstage aspect of it, but there are, um, from what I, I, from what was hinted, uh, I guess there was some creative control or creative differences with Joss and Marvel uh, over Age of Ultron. But again, you know, it's not like and Joss isn't hurting for work, and he's still <laughs> a producer and 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 pretty much the dude running the show on on Agents of Shield. So it's not like he he threw his hands in the air and says, "You know, the hell with Marvel." He's still doing his thing. Um, David Leach is your director oh, okay. for Deadpool two. But or I'm sorry, the untitled Deadpool sequel is still right, what it's yeah, listed yeah. as. Yeah. Uh, but no, they're they're um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's it's neat seeing the movies play out differently than the comics, like you said, Vince, with the the editorial mandate and and what what the creators are kind of free to do because these are still. These are still Marvel properties, you know, whether it's in print or on the screen, but obviously they're different mediums, so people yeah. can have leeway with different things. And let's be honest, there's a whole lot more to lose in a movie than there is a comic. You're also getting a hell of a lot more eyes on it. Well, yeah, but we're talking billions. Yeah. Black Panther made a billion dollars. Billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you have a, a line of comics that isn't doing so well, what are you going to lose? Right. millions we're talking billions in the movies yeah. so yep. yeah it's it's a it's a horse of a totally different color now jason Speaking what was that of, question okay. that question uh well the, okay i'm gonna get that question but i have one more thing before we get to the question it's all interrelated all right. uh what about the huge news that netflix has paid rob our boy <laughs> mr liefeld an insane amount of money <laughs> i'm hearing high like many 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 millions to acquire the creative rights to his extreme universe. Now, when you say many, many, many millions, are we talking about a hundred million? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. But like, you know, eight figures for the rights, <laughs> and then if depending on how successful they are, a lot more than that. Oh, I think it's awesome. I do too. And listen, I'm going to keep it 100 before I get your guys' reactions. I love Rob 100%. Y'all know that. Um, I mean. A lot of these characters, you know, derivative, derivative, such yeah. that I don't know that there's a meaty 
story <laughs> behind a lot of these characters. Um, the news officially is that Netflix's option, the Extreme Universe, they're immediately going to start producing feature films with it. Akiva Goldsman will be the head of a, of the writer's room. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I will reserve judgment on the works themselves until we hear more. But I'm super happy for Rob because, I mean, dude has... Uh, Dude's renaissance is is continuing apace. He is having yeah. a hell of a of a second yeah. life. Yeah. Well, I'm so. I'm pretty sure. I'm assuming they're going to lead with Young Blood. It's the logic. They haven't choice, announced right? anything anything about it, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't but, think they've I mean, given. There's a uh, there's a lot of great characters. You have Supreme. Supreme is is Liefeld. Yeah, but it's also a. Superman rip, so you can kind of. Yeah. I, I think maybe focus on. You don't because then once that happens, then you're you you risk being the studio that's just doing knockoffs and and. So you yeah you've got you've got blood you've got brigade and blood strike and blood boom and blood, blood pool wolf, yeah, blood, blood wolf, wolf. reject cyber uh, <laughs> glory. So, this is gonna yeah. be great. Oh man, listen, if they do profit, the that's way what I was thinking of. Yeah. That would see that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Great. But either way, I just wanted to say shout out to him. So, getting to the question, um, one of the questions on the patron was directed to Vince, and right. it was essentially that um, you know they're surprised at your consistent disinterest in even going to see any of the films when David and I talk about them, yep. and they just surprises them because you are so into the visuals and and you do love movies and so they were wondering what's behind that it's pretty simple i don't need the movies i i don't need to see the avengers take on thanos on the big screen it's nice it's it's a good way to waste a couple hours but i don't need it i Mm -hmm. i have the comics and it's a medium that is not the same as film so it's it's like, do I need to see a movie adaptation of, um, I don't know, Relayer, like a record a record album? I it's 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 taking one a work done in one medium and shoehorning it into the other. I mean, it's a natural thing now. Movies are big deals, so great, and I'm glad that there's a huge audience for them. But I don't I don't really need them. I mm-hmm. I don't I don't have to see them i don't like you said you teared up when you saw wakanda for the first time mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. the screen that's great and and I, I love that you enjoy the characters so much that when your flat two-dimensional memories were realized in moving pictures it, it spoke to you that's awesome they could take the new gods or commandy and make movies out of them and i'd be like okay whatever Mm-hmm. But I, I I just don't I don't have this this drive to see them. You, you throw old horror movies at me and old exploitation films, and I'll watch them all damn day. But I just like with the superhero stuff and the comic book movies. I just I there's part like a huge part of me just doesn't care. I just mm-hmm. I don't and I it's because it's the the origins are two dimensional. The the mechanics of comics don't work for the movies. And vice versa. Well, no, not vice versa. Mechanics of movies work very well in comics, but I just I I don't find it a necessity. David put on Facebook that he's was, watching Jessica Jones 
absolutely no interest in watching that. But I, yeah, you really enjoyed The Punisher. And that, you enjoyed the first season. That's different. Well, yeah, the, the first I watched the first season of Jessica Jones hoping that it would be something, and it was fun, but I don't mm-hmm. want to see another season of that. And I, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that that's what this is going to be. Because it is mm-hmm. the same series, right? It's yeah. a continuation of the first season. Right. It's, it's, not, it's not like it picks up right after The Defenders or... I mean, it's been eight episodes, nine episodes we haven't seen Luke. So it's not like... It really is kind of its, its own thing. Uh, aside from Jerry Hogarth, who was, of course, brought into the first season of Jessica Jones and played a part in The Defenders because of her relationship with Danny Rand. Um, there's very little, I mean, you don't even, I mean, we're years past it now, but they don't even mention the, the, the incident or the, the attack in New York, the battle of New York. You don't, you know, it's the only thing is, uh, the superintendent's son has Captain America action figure. I mean, other than that, you really, it's kind of its own thing. It feels like, and, and which is cool. And it's, it's still a, um, a very literally strong female character. So, um, it's, it's, it's been, it's better than based on how some of the Netflix Marvel shows have been and, and how they kind of, uh, peter out as the season continues. It's, they're on a roll since the Punisher. It's, it, this has been a very, very good season based on some of the other series we've, we've had. But you mentioned the Punisher. That's a character that's closer to my heart than mm-hmm. Jessica Jones or sure. definitely Luke Cage. Like the Punisher he's not my Spider Man, but he's up there in the Marvel universe. So yeah, I'm more willing to check that out than I am a, a Jessica Jones. But mm-hmm. another another aspect of these things is the cult aspect of it. How everyone gets so they wig out when when these things are about to drop and and everyone has to go to the movies the first weekend to see it or they're going to get spoilers like that whole carrot on a stick angle just it's I I, I just I I can't, I can't play that I don't care I, well I, and I, I respect just, that I mean, you're, I'm, being, you're, you're I'm being honest aging. but, but I, I'm aging I, w- I was going to say that the the I think the cool thing to me about that is that we came up in a time when we lived that life as comic fans. Yeah. I mean, for a good chunk of our life, we needed to get to the store to get the comic when it came out that week to talk about it. Right, but we were like, in the, the minority. Was, and we, the comic no, but, was, still but we lived that life, though. Like, yeah. we, like, that was a big part of it. That's, that's, the, that's one of the reasons we were fanatics. That's one of the reasons the, the periodical has been so resilient is because it's taken a long time to condition all of us into realizing that we don't need to read the comic the day it comes out. Right. That we can enjoy it, and and we don't need to be part of. And part of that is because we don't have to have that instant narrative anymore. And I like that now there are millions of people experiencing that same thing that that was one of the cruxes of driving us into be fanatics about this stuff. So I dig it. I mean, but I get it though. If it doesn't, right? It's but the, it's if, it's it is the, it's not the same thing though, because you know where where we're we're grooving. Up, well, maybe it is. We were grooving on the art and the story. Movies, a different beast. You know, it, it's, it's, 
there's not a focus uh, as much, nearly as much, on the visuals. It's more the story. Oh, did you see what happened to the vision? Oh, man. But it's not, it's not, how about the way Gene Cullen drew that panel? Was that monu- not monumental? You know, it's, there's, there's a separation between the craft and the, the, the storytelling in the movies where there wasn't in the comics. We would talk as much about how an artist or writer did something on the creative end of it, mm-hmm. whereas in the movies, it's all surface. It's all just pure adrenaline and, and fun. And it, they forget that, that there's a, an artistic angle where is that, that's the angle that's not the same for me. Okay. Like uh, the, yeah. the, the, the shading on Cap's boots or the way, you know, a, a character will draw Spider-Man perched on a, a, a creator will draw Spider-Man perched on a, 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 a ledge. And I'm thinking John Romita Jr., Spider-Man in the rain. Like that panel, that double-page spread is just phenomenal. And there's not that kind of attention paid to those things in the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it, because they're not the same approach. It's not the same animal. I, I, give, me, give me sequential art bef- way before movies. It's the way it's always been. And so I, I don't rush out to see them. And I just, I'll watch them eventually, whatever. I still haven't seen Ragnarok. What, I, I haven't seen Black Panther. Just, it, I get around to it. It's just not a priority. That's all. So there you go. Asked and answered. Right. Boom. Patrons. Oh, while we're on it, should we uh, just do a quick little shout out to our, our patrons who uh, do it up. Have, so, have so lovingly... Um, uh, supported us uh, with uh, with their new 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 tiered patronage. Uh, now you guys shouted out. You said Dabby said you shouted out uh, Darren and Christopher Darren and Chris. on Thursday. Yes. Okay. Cool. So then uh, uh, then it is my great pleasure to shout out a longtime friend of the show, our our good buddy Joel Cables, mm-hmm. who has joined the crew, and a shout out to Forever Comics Pub who was already a patron but has jumped up to the Illuminati level. So much yeah, love to you both. We we yes. appreciate it very much. And and we should say we are we are comfortably back in the zone of, of six episodes a month, Vince. So I know, right? Now we gotta get to eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about that. Can I can I uh can I jump into one of these other two graphic you are novels? So see? cute. He's got to ask. It's like, ask oh, you always shit. ask, Vince. You always ask. Um, okay. So the next one, I'm saving the best for last. Okay. I liked all three very much, but I'm going to save the one that, that you two need to go read as well. Because um, this is another one that I loved and uh, I think, but but is probably not something either of you are going to, uh, to run out and get. Um, this is The Best We Could Do, an illustrated memoir by T. Bui, which is a T-H-I, first name, last name, B-U-I. Um. This is a um, this is by Abrams, I should say. It is a it is a hardcover um, with a dust jacket. Looks like a, a novel by uh, put out by Abrams. Uh, T is a a, uh, a Vietnamese woman um, graphic artist. She has illustrated uh, many things in many genres over the years, but uh, this is her. Her work written and drawn, um, I believe she started this back in 2004 and finally got it to a place where she was ready to release it into the world. And 
It is another nonfiction book, although this is far more artistic in its approach to the presentation than Hostage, which was a very straightforward presentation of, of a factual event. Uh, this is a story that uh, T is essentially trying to encapsulate uh, the the family history of um, her family's evolution, starting with um, her parents. Uh, we, we, we see the, the entire life cycle of her two parents who were both born in Vietnam uh, and then um, going all the way through to, to T's forming of her own family, getting married, having a child. And at the end of the book, her child is now 10 years old. Um, but it is a masterfully comp- complex presentation and that she jumps all over time. Uh, the book opens with her giving birth to her son in 2004, I believe. Um, the book uh, ends with her son swimming in the ocean at 10 years old. But as I said, I mean, we bounce all over the map from there, from when her uh, her father was a, was, was a, a toddler uh, to a young man, to when her and we we just see the entire life cycle of her, of her parents and 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 everything, and it's just such a fascinating look at. Um, in, in, by her own admission, her parents were boat people, which was a, a somewhat of a derogatory name used for the uh, um, Southeast Asian immigration wave that happened during the rise of communism, uh, both during and then particularly after the like the Vietnam conflict and things like that. Um, her parents came over when she was three and uh, like many immigrants struggled with their identity and to see them in their American form uh, was really um, unfortunately a shadow of the people that they were uh, because they had to basically give up everything and go through a lot of hardship to get over here. And just because of circumstance and lack of formal education and documentation, they were unable to, um, attain the, the lives that they had maintained when they were in their own countries. Um, and, and this is T's journey through not only trying to understand her own heritage, but understanding, uh, her parents in ways that I think really resonated to me because look, I, I, um, one of the things that really struck me about this book is the way that she sees her parents as she ages and how that changes. Uh, you know, she grew up fearing her father, um, he was a quiet, angry man, uh, and he, w- he wasn't abusive in any way to them, but, but he was, he was, but he scared them in spite of that, uh, her and her brother. Um, but, uh, but, but now as, as the person telling the story, she's a grown woman and independent, largely Americanized. I mean, she was born, she was here when she was three and, and, you know, grew up in American more than a, than a, than, than someone that would consider themselves Vietnamese. And by the time she's writing the story, she sees her father in a totally different light. He, he's an older man now. He's somewhat weak physically. Um, but she also has grown to understand why he was the way he was growing up and that the, and, and has built an empathy for, for that because she can, she can now understand why uh, a once proud, successful man whose life was derailed through no fault of his own because of circumstance and poverty and, and the rise of communism and being displaced and that sort of thing, um, how that shaped him. And, uh, she just does an, an, an incredible job juxtaposing the times because I think time hopping is a difficult thing to pull off in a, in a book. Um, particularly as you guys were saying with, uh, with, with 
with Savage Dragon. Like he doesn't he doesn't suffer fools. He doesn't give you those little word balloons or interstitials to tell you that uh, that we're jumping around to different places. And and she doesn't either. She doesn't you know she doesn't say now chapter twelve, you know nineteen eighty one. She doesn't do that. You know she she relies on her visual storytelling and and the narrative um, and who's 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 in the scene to to inform you of, of of where we are here. I mean she she can. You know, you have to be. She has to be confident enough in her ability to visually establish what her young, what her mother looked like as a young woman, versus what she looked like, so that you understand we're, we're seeing a story of her mother as a young college girl and not her. Um, and you know, it's 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 not dissimilar to me um, in a lot of ways to how impressed I was with uh, with with Emil Ferris last year and her sort of debut as a graphic storyteller. It's it's hard for me to believe that that these people can put out this accomplished of a work with like their first salvo into the medium. It's, 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 it's almost soul crushing to someone who even tangentially aspires to be, you know, a writer someday, like to think that they could put these works out and it can be like the first work they're putting out for consumption and to be this good. Um, but I also think it's really poignantly timed. So in a, in a way, even though she started this 2004, I love that it took until 2017 to hit the stands because look, we are in a very politically charged world right now, where I think whether you're pro or or anti these protectionist immigration pushes, I think most of us are against them. Certainly, at least among us and, and among our listeners. But there, regardless of whether you're for or, or against increased um, immigration laws and rules, I do think the idea of immigrants has been dumbed down. It's become a political talking point, and I think it's been dehumanized, even by the side, like our side, that is is largely against um, making it harder for immigration or for people that are here to stay. Um, I think we, we talk about it now in such passionate terms in terms of, like, the legality or the people behind trying to change it and how angry it makes us without really remembering that, like, these are people. I mean – Immigrants are literally, I mean, it, it sounds silly to say it. I'm hearing myself say it. It sounds silly, like no shit, Sherlock. But I mean, we forget that they're people with lives and histories, and a lot of them had risked a lot. I mean, like literally risked their lives and their livelihood and gave up wealth and success and academic achievement and, and uh, professional stature for the chance to give themselves or their kids a different future here. And this book so wonderfully captures the very essence of that and the complexities with which many immigrants had to fa- face a lot of hard hardships to get to where they're going. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a linear thing where they just woke up one day and said, oh, I'm going to go and be a U.S. citizen. You know, there, there's there's decades of, of, of political and social change that went on in their in their in their lives in their countries that that largely lead to these decisions and these decisions are not made lightly and they're not made easily and even when they make them they're not sure they were the right decisions even many years after they get here so uh it's just an incredibly powerful emotional work um that uh that that i would recommend to anybody that has an interest in understanding why so many of us are so passionately in support of 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 the power of immigration and giving people a chance um, so just, just a masterwork by, by T boy. And, uh, one more time, it's, it's called the best we could do. Uh, and this was on, I mean, admittedly, I bought this book because it was on a million of the end of the year, best of lists, 
um, you know, from the Eisners to like Amazon to, you know, to a bunch of the ones we even posted on the forums at the year, end of the year, like Complex and a bunch of the other magazines. So, so this is not one that I came across absent at already getting praised by other people, but, uh, but the praise was well-deserved. And uh, I implore anyone that, uh, that, that likes this kind of story, uh, you know, real life story to, to give it a, a, a check. And I didn't talk a lot about the visuals, but, um, but the visuals are, are, are powerful. Again, the, 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 the 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 human anatomy the the figure work isn't gonna you know this isn't Quapel this isn't you know this isn't like Opeña you're not gonna look at the figure you're not gonna fall in love visually with the way that the figures are drawn but the power of her decisions from as a storyteller and the panels and the way that she expresses emotion and and some of the key moments of of each of their lives is is, is great great very mature stuff I mean far more mature than her relative inexperience as a comic book creator would uh, would suggest so two huge thumbs up nice Vince is like yeah this is another one that doesn't sound like it's on my alley <laughs> well I, it's an illustration on on our approach to to the medium i i think of the three of us you are the most willing to try different things where where i'm pretty much stuck uh, I have a a wind. Try lots of, I mean, we all read lots of different comics. I mean, we you, we do, but I mean, if the if the 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 concept or the core is not there for me, I won't I won't try it. Like, despite the the illustration style, I'm I'm stuck in the 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 superhero horror, more horror than superhero, but like the horror, um, psychotronic, surreal, <laughs> crazy. I was going to say you you are actually prone to and have talked about many times. Inst- as we sit in sun silence uh, about books that are like truly driven almost to be um well it's like it's like you know like zappa comics like like sure. like just purely visually expressive and right. experimental right. almost to the point where i'm not even sure the books have a narrative right but that's not the point of the book and you often can fall in love with those yep so yeah i think again in terms of all of our concentric circles i can and often do really enjoy um like real stories like stories about real life you know uh slice i hate to use slice of life because i feel like that often belittles what some of this these works are but 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 for those i mean that's probably what you would describe a lot of these books slice yeah. of life books books that are about a view into someone's real life right some of my darkest uh years collecting comics were during that phase when it seeming seems that Every artist and and their brothers were trying autobiographical comics, mm-hmm. and I could not stand any of them. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't read this. Why do I care? Why mm-hmm. you're, you know, um, even Chester Brown. I mean, I read the Chester Brown stuff, but that was mm-hmm. even a slog. Like, I, I I need a fantastic hook. I need something. Mm-hmm. outside of the mundane or the everyday to get me into the book and um sure. autobio stuff just didn't do it yeah. yeah that's fine yeah that's so it's fine totes Let's talk about something fantastical yeah um well we should be bringing this all home not well i got one more i gotta talk about gotta get oh. off my plate we'll do it it's a trio dude it's a trio gotta give you the trio we'll do the trio. well okay here's the deal this was going to be in my in your travels just to break you up because you know we don't they don't 
who wants to listen to Jason go on for 45 minutes? Not that it's <laughs> not entertaining, but we need a little bit of variety. Um, I don't think David will enjoy this book. <laughs> um, I have not looked at the Slack list, but I don't know if it's on there. Uh, it's, it's an image comic written by Richard Starkings uh, and Tyler Shaneline. You mean you mean the one that I mentioned last week that I said hopefully everybody will read it? Oh, you time? did? Okay, and Shaky Kane did the art and the color? He did indeed, and I read it as well. It's called The Beef. Yes. The Beef. And as I'm reading it, there are as I read it, there are certain instances where I can imagine Mr. Price just not vibing with it. No, this is definitely going to be one of those episodes where I think we're going to surprise each other from time to nice. time. Nice. Look at that. Do you enjoy the beef? Number one? I enjoy I yes, yes, I enjoyed the beef number wow. one. Wow. As did I. Woo, me too. Well, I'm glad we're all in agreement because it is the story of Chuck Carter. And Chuck Carter is a second-generation meatpacking worker, slaughterhouse worker. Uh, his daddy worked in the slaughterhouse that produces the meat for a local, um, I don't even know if it's local, a, a fast food chain called The Beef that specializes in beef, hamburgers, right? Um, Chuck's daddy worked there, and he died there. There was a mishap with uh, some kind of machine from China, and, and Daddy got uh, stuck in it and eventually died. Um, mm -hmm. And, and Chuck, Chuck works there as well. But um, through the whole book, we get uh, info drops on excitotoxins. And it's like... The FDA argued that a man would have to consume an enormous amount of excitotoxins to cause serious ill effects. Um, initially, we see Chuck and his friends, and you know they're they're eating the beef and they're loving it. And they have a friend who's a a vegetarian. He's like, I I, I can't abide that 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 shit's evil. Um, and they're calling him a pussy because mm -hmm. he won't eat the meat. But they're they're eating their lunch on the land next to. The, the packing plant because Chuck's father has been pulling double shifts um, and in bikes the grandsons of the man who owns the meat packing plant and they're just idiots these two kids mm -hmm. are, they're, they're just idiots they yeah. call them pussies um, you know I can smell your mother's something on my breath they call them faggots <laughs> and he's got a kiss army shirt on Okay. Yep. Um, yep. But uh, they the the two grandsons beat the crap out of him, and that's when Grandpa comes in. He goes, "Your daddy is uh, should slap the shit out of you. You 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 brought this fight on yourself with that you know pussy face of yours." And th the whole family are just scumbags, right? Yeah. And in the meantime, there's flashbacks of Chuck in the in the packing plant using the hydraulic gun to pummel the bolt through the, the brains of the cows. And then they show the cow being the, the, the jugular, the cows being cut. And it's, it's a very in your face, um, depiction of what goes on in a meatpacking plant. Uh, flash forward to the present. Chuck is all grown up and he meets 
the two grandsons again and their racist uh womanizing uh, obnoxious scumbags fueled by money the worst kind right so they're in a diner and and chuck has the hots for um uh is she, is she mexican latin american i i don't latina. know latina and and uh, they they're throwing racist slurs at them and the the two grandsons want to see if her breasts are real so they stab a cow and the cow freaks out and and trudges across the strawberry field towards the woman meanwhile they they get in their little uh little stupid sports car with a spoiler which i've never understood the reason to have a spoiler on a car doesn't fly um and and they take a shotgun and blow the brains out of the 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 cow and very very graphic i mean there's nothing left to the imagination the the, the yeah. there's there's blood spewing out of the cow's mouth its nostrils its ears its eyeballs fly out of its head and and the the um the woman mary lynn is is covered in viscera and and chuck is like trying to to make her feel better and she blames him in a in a sense um but the end was very surprising because it went in a direction i did not expect at all because chuck gets pissed off at the two grandsons and because of all the exotoxins he's ingested over the years from eating the beef made at this packing plant he hulks out Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> into a character that looks like a big mass of beef. He's mm-hmm. he's red, he has the cartilage around his eyes and 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 mm-hmm. sort his muscles and stuff, but that's where the issue lets off. And then we get some awesome process pages in the back on how they did the cover. There's a like a can of of corned <laughs> beef spam that they photoshopped uh the beef onto the label it's just neat if if i mean this is everyday occurrence for me but if you don't know how photoshop works or how things are done i think this will be very insightful to you i i don't know if i would have enjoyed this issue as much had it not been illustrated by shaky kane right i think he's the perfect complement to the narrative there's something very otherworldly about shaky's art um, his people don't exist in our world. It, what I'm trying to say is this is shaky is perfect for the medium of comics. Um, he draws in a very ratty pseudo Kirby-esque style. Anatomy, who cares? Doesn't matter. I'm going to draw these characters the way I see fit. Like uh, he's not bound by rules or by structure. It's just shaky Kane just goes. It's like he's like a rabid dog. You unleash him, and mm-hmm. he's going to go wherever he wants to go. And I but love a strong, it. a strong line though, like a strong, a strong, solid line with his with his inks. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's not an ele- it's not an elegant line. It's a no. ve- it's a very it's a brutal. It's like, it's almost like the lines were carved instead of instead of just laid down. Like he doesn't. Yeah. He there's mm-hmm. no f- there's no finesse, uh, intentionally so. Mm-hmm. So I I I love this issue. I thought it was phenomenal, um, but unexpected. Like I didn't. It's on the cover, but I didn't know that that was going to be part of it. Like that just seems to me to be some kind of shaky 
making a man out of beef. And, you know, ha-ha, nudge-nudge. But it's actually part of the story. Beef man. He's, he's got the, the hat on, too. It's so silly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it should be noted that, uh, that Richard Starkings is a adamant and devout uh, vegan. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly a little bit of political undercurrent about meat as murder in here, but uh, I gotta tip my cap to him if if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna get all uh, preachy on us, putting shaky cane in an absurdist over the top rage comic yeah, at me. Yeah. I'm 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 willing to talk about a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I'm I'm with it. Right. I don't think you would ever convince me to go vegan. I I need meat. I've. I've tried to exist on greens. It just I can't do it. I I need I need <laughs> samesies. Yeah, but, but Dap, tell us why you enjoyed it so much because you were the one to bring it up last week. Uh, because of Kane. Um, mm-hmm. It was. It's you know, I didn't know what to expect when when I read it. Um, or before I read it, I I didn't. Uh, I don't know how much. Uh, the solicits gave away, but you know the there seems to be a theme tonight, aside from mummies, of of flashbacks and 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 stories being told at, at, at through different times. And this was this did it. Um, there was an advantage here, and and you know it, it wouldn't. It's it's probably. It's weird. It might be easier to to say what wouldn't have worked for this. Like like Vince said, if if another artist drew this, it probably wouldn't be as I'll say entertaining. Uh, if it was told straightforward from the past to the present, it probably would have missed something. Is not necessarily a hook, but the putting things in in perspective and and the type of person Chuck is and, and these two asshole grandkids and, and it, it's, it works with the flashbacks and, and the juxtaposing of, of, of the present day. Uh, the art is, is by far the, the selling point for me. I, yeah, it, it like it says on the cover, it's vegetarian approved. If, if you are like Richard Starkings, then you probably will enjoy the story as far as the, meet his murder aspect of it. Uh, if you're a fan of really cool art, uh, I think you'll dig it. I, the colors are just, it's, they are extremely flat. And, and again, that's something I think that works to its advantage, uh, as far as this story goes, but it's love flat color. You do. It is a wordy son of a bitch. There, there is a ton of text on, uh, on just about, every page but it again it it just um it serves a purpose and and it it moves the story along uh i am really curious to see where we go with the second issue um i i probably brought it up just because it was so probably unexpected for me yeah i we i mean bulletproof coffin we've read we've enjoyed we know what kane can bring to a book uh, and I mean, this is not like Nelvin Men at all. So it, it's it's just I'm not gonna say it caught me off guard, but it it just it was somewhat unexpected for me. And and I I 
did enjoy it. And again, because I, I do eat burgers, I do eat steak. So yeah, I mean, it's not like they were running around whacking the heads off of dogs and mm-hmm. cats and, and shoving, you know, rabbits down sewers. It was, it, it, it was all, and it wasn't, it wasn't so much that, you know, Hey, look what we're going to try to get away with. I mean, the dude works at a meat packing plant. Where else are you going to, what else are you going to see? But that, so it's, it's no, I, I don't, I, I appreciate Vince for, you know, looking out for me in that regard. But it, in, in this case, it, it's one of those things that serves the purpose of, of the story. So it's not something that's going to, uh, I'm not going to fling the book across the room because of it. Nice, and the the grandkids <laughs> are so freaking vain. The, oh, their, their names oh, are yeah, yeah. their names are Christos <laughs> and Galen, and he's like, no, but <laughs> they don't go by that. They go no. by G Row and K Bob. <laughs> like, oh my word. god! And the kids got and his hat on backwards. When when they're older, um, they still have the the names. Yes, but. They, they they when they were talking about whether or not her breasts are real and how to find out you know if they are uh i that that to me and and jason can can vouch for this that sounded like our boys cliff and justin it just it seemed like a, a conversation that that i would have heard them say or that they would have posted in one of our uh chat messages but it, it's a um they are they are absolutely uh the worst and and it's you're not really sure like you kind of feel bad for Chuck because of what he's he's been through, and but at the same time, it's like you know how you you also kind of been you, you've been bullied by these kids, and and there's baggage he's bringing, of course. So it's yeah, there's there's a lot to kind of absorb in in yeah. this first issue. So yeah, I, I got to see where it's going. There's two moments in the issue that that really made it a winner for me. Where mm-hmm. they're they're talking about um, Mary Lynn, and it's like the narrative goes: both her parents wanted her to get a taste of California, education, opportunity, a career. Now she picks strawberries genetically modified with genes from a cold water fish to create a cold resistant plant. The sweet taste of America, calling her. And then the very next panel, Mad Cow! It's after the, mm-hmm. the kids stab the, well, the guys stab the cow. But the back cover, I think, is a masterpiece. Where Marilyn's in a, a yes. American flag bikini, and she's got a, a beef. Yeah, that's right out of Carl's Jr. Package between her legs, and she's eating a hamburger, and the secret sauce Dripper, is, yeah. is dripping, and there's one little drop of secret sauce on her breasts. Like that, I I don't normally associate subtlety with shaky cane, but that is pretty subtle. <laughs> this is a great issue. Loved it. Suitable for vegetarians too. Says on right on the cover. Tainted love. Also, should be pointed out that Richard is not only a devout vegan. He's not only a devout vegan, but he's also a uh, an, a Brit as well. So yeah, it's probably some of that <laughs> anti-America in there too. That's all right. It's easy That's to do. Right. We got some of that with Larson and Savage Dragon too. So, Since he's not that. a Brit, though. But. No, he's not. No, which uh-huh. even makes it more, yes. uh, impactful. You right. You right. Yeah. So, why don't you tell us about this last thing? This last thing. Why are you sound so excited? What, right? No. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I saved the last one because I knew it, this would draw you back in. Okay. All right. I, I looked at your images that you sent, and I'm guessing the one you're going to talk about. 
is the one that you think I'm going to vibe on is this one with this Cthulhu-esque kind of correct creature thing. Correct. What's it called? It is called Nyork, which is N-I-O-U-R-K. Uh, it is uh, by Dark Horse, but it's a uh, English adaptation of a graphic novel that was produced in France uh, by Olivier Vatine, V-A-T-I-N-E, uh, in 2012, so five years ago. And this was Vatine's um, graphic depiction of a novel of the same name from 1957. It was a science fiction novel by French writer Stéphane Wool, uh, And uh, Vatine turned it into a bande dessinée in 12, and now we get the English translation here in all of its glory. Um, interesting note about this book, it is a... Uh, oversized hardcover it's nine by 12 which i love and when it was originally solicited it was going to be seven by nine so the more of a digest sized book and enough people that were familiar with the original work uh lobbied for dark horse to uh publish it in its original dimensions because they didn't want to see the art uh reduced in that way and so they reconsidered and they put it out in its uh, original form which I think is a huge, huge win for the book. So the cover of the OGN, you see in the foreground um, a, uh, a young boy, probably about 10, 11 maybe, um, with some kind of rifle strapped to his back. You see him from the, from the back. He's looking, he's looking away from you, and he's looking up at the Statue of Liberty, and it's uh, Statue of Liberty is covered in, in moss and overgrowth, so kind of reminiscent of Planet of the Apes, uh, only in the... Uh, at the top of of the of, of of Lady Liberty's arm is a giant satellite dish, um, also aging and decrepit. But so you, you get a sense that it's taking place in a future version of Earth, but but maybe not exactly our our version of Earth. Um, and then the book starts where we are in a. Um, to your point, Vince, you mentioned I sent you an image which will be in the uh, in the previews. There's. They do look like Cthulhu creatures, but actually, what they are are, um, I think they're they're Vatine drew them more to look like uh, organic versions of the War of the Worlds mm-hmm. um, creatures. They are um, octop- they're octopi, octop- octopods that have been genetically modified uh, by humanity to help serve as essentially um, uh, workhorses. Uh, because in this world, it takes place right after Fukushima, the Fukushima disaster. And because of uh, nuclear waste and the like, um, they genetically engineer these octopi to help uh, who can exist in, in the deep bowels of the sea. And so they've trained them to help take uh, toxic waste that they dump into the ocean and move the waste for us into uh, like deep trenches uh, under the tectonic plates. So essentially they're supposed to go away. But of course, it's a dumb idea because, you know, Mother Nature has a way of, of, of getting its revenge one way or another. And, and by, by years and years of dumping toxic waste into, uh, into the plates, it ends up that uh, it totally changes the, the, bio, you know, the bio sphere and, and, in essence, causes a, a fallout-driven you know, Armageddon, in essence. And then this, this, is, this, this all takes place right after our modern times, right after Fukushima. But that's just sort of the, the, the prelogue, and then we're brought to a far-flung future, um, not dissimilar to 
you know, commandy in a lot of ways. I think Vince, one of the things, if you do look at this book, uh, it's clear Vatine is a huge fan of commandy. Um, th- there are definitely some homages to it. No. Um, yeah, no, no, there really, oh. there are, um, um, in fact, even at one point, so, so w- the main crux of the story is, is, a. um, they look like Neanderthals. I mean, they're, they're a tribe of, of hunter gatherers and, and there's, you get the sense that there isn't much of humanity left. And, uh, the, the Trevor, the, the, the tribe is, um, is run by an elder again, uh, not, not unfamiliar for, for that kind of thing. And the elder is going to make his pilgrimage to the, to the realm of the gods, which he does periodically to commune with the gods. And, uh, we're introduced to someone we only know as the dark child. And he is, uh, the, the boy we see on the cover. He's, a uh, He's uh, he looks like a like he's a well, he's a he's a, he's a dark skinned boy. He looks like a young black boy, um, and his tribe is is largely fair skinned. We have no idea why he looks the way he does or, or what it is, but but they view him. He's somewhat of a of a fringe member of the of the society because of his skin color, and he has to kind of live in the periphery and 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 live for scraps and kind of take where you know take food where he can. They are always trying to shun him, and basically because they think he's evil. Um, they, they distrust him because of his skin color. Um, but, uh, but the, the, the elder goes off to the, to the land of the gods and the dark child, um, he, he follows him and, uh, and the elder, he dies, he dies, he dies of old age, dies of, of a drinking binge and of old age. Um, and as per their custom in this, in this world, when you come across something that has died or you kill something, you are to break open its skull and eat its brain. And you then possess all of its memories and powers and you become whatever station in, in, in the, in the world that that, that had you then have. So the dark child comes across the elder and, uh, and sees that uh, the elder is, uh, is dead and he breaks open his, his head and eats his brains. And in his mind becomes the elder so he's like, oh, I'm, I'm good now. I go back to the tribe. They'll accept me because I'm the elder now. Um, and, and you start to see, though, with Vatine as, as, we're, as we're going through this journey, that, that this is clearly Earth many hundreds of years from now because um, there's a frozen wasteland and it's very much an uh, industrial uh, shipping yard. You can see in the background the, the old um, uh, cranes that they'd use to lift the to cargo out of the boats. And you see an old shipping uh, boat kind of three quarters sunk into the, into the ice, but you can see it. It's the, the shell. If it's over, uh, you know, on its side kind of sticking out and you get the sense that, uh, that this is just a world that's kind of been reborn after hundreds of years of, 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 of non-existence. So you kind of get it. You kind of think the book is going in one direction. Uh, and, and meanwhile, his tribe is struggling to find food because, um, you know, they've just basically picked it over. And so they have to go further and further out to find food. And, and there's the, uh, the, the, sort of the leader of the tribe, which is this, uh, this, this gigantic caveman like guy that's, uh, that's like the hero and the hunter gatherer. And he's, he's trying to, uh, find food and he has to go through his own quest where he's, he's, uh, beset by, uh, a giant, a giant alligator creature and, um, all sorts of things. And so you're kind of going along and you're getting a sense that this is going to be this boy's journey to find a position in his tribe and find meaning. But, uh, but then it just totally throws everything for a loop because, um, then out of nowhere, the boy comes across um, uh, inside of a mall. He, he comes across an old mall. He comes across a, a, a weapon, which is basically it looks like a rifle, but it's 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 remembers the future. So this was a, a like it's a laser cannon. And so the boy is suddenly 
like incredibly powerful because he can he can pretty much take out anything. And he's convinced that this is another gift from the gods. So now he's not only the elder, but the gods have smiled upon him. And he's making his way back, and he's trying to make his way back to his tribe. But when he gets back to his tribe, it's been like Conan. Like, it's it's been destroyed. It's been burnt down to crisp, and, and uh, they've moved on. So he's, he's basically trying to follow his tribe, and, and his tribe is being led by this other guy. And, and, and again, they're, they're trying to find a new home, find new new a new safe place to be. And they've decided they have to basically go to where they consider the land of monsters, uh, which is the shoreline. And they call it the land of monsters because... As you might imagine, these uh, these oc- these octopus-like creatures um, reside in that area, and you know they have no idea about the history of these creatures. These creatures are just sort of mystical to them, and and uh, they kind of encounter one another, and and uh, the dark child catches up to them, and he saves the day with his cannon. He shoots this octopus creature that they think is attacking them, and as he has done with everything else that he's come across, he goes to eat the creature by by breaking its its head open. But in this time, instead of doing that, the, a tentacle shoots out of the of the brain cap- cavity and and attaches to the dark child's brain, and he sees he's flooded with memories of 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 their creation and of the toxic waste and all these things, and 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 so he's sort of like transformed and and that he's gained this awareness about the history of the world and his and his own people that he could never have encapsulated before. Uh, and, and, but because they're, are what they are, they, they, they still slice this thing up and eat it like, like good calamari. But, uh, but the thing is, is the thing is, is crazily radioactive because I mean, it's, it's, it's for generations. These things were, were handling nuclear waste. And so all of a sudden, all of his tribes mates are like, oh, my, my belly's glowing or look at your belly. It's glowing. And, and, and they're imbued with, with extra strength and they think it's wonderful because their bellies are glowing. And it's, but, but we all know that like their bellies are going because it's fucking like nuclear waste. So sure enough, it starts like killing them all off. And, uh, and only a few of them managed to survive the, the decision to eat the stuff. Um, and, and the boy is then confronted with this guy that looks like doc Savage. All of a sudden out of nowhere, we were sitting this trap, like this, this fantastic, uh, spaceship comes flying through the air and out comes this statuesque shaved bald, like gold cladded, super scientist guy who's, who's speaking to the boy and telling him like, Oh, I, I can't help you right now. I'm on a, a mission, but you know, you should head to New York because that's where you guys will find all the game and pray you need to survive. And, and uh, hence the name of this book. Like it's a, it's a play on what he thinks the guy says is New York. He thinks he's saying New York, right? So they, they try and make their way to New York. And, and so they, they come across New York and you meet this, there's a crashed ship. And we find out that most of humanity has spent centuries living on Mars but this crew went back from Mars to Earth to get some supplies. They crashed. And, and it just it takes these crazy turns. And eventually the boy it meets these people. And he, 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 he essentially transforms into Alpha, like the ultimate, the ultimate human being. And he's imbued with essentially superpowers. Uh, he can duplicate himself. He can change his size. And, uh, and he's faced with the dilemma of whether or not to go to Mars with these three scientists and, and show Mars the proof of him and that humanity still exists on Earth, or if he should stay with his people and help try and re- reinvigorate his tribe that's been decimated. And uh, I won't get into the decision he makes, but it's absolutely mind-blowing uh, and trippy. And so this book covers everything from, like, Neanderthal, primitive hunter-gatherers into what humanity could eventually become if we ever reached our peak, all in one volume. And the visuals are just absurd, 
It's just incredible, incredible, gigantic, you know, one and two page splash pages. Um, and you, you, the characters, you come to really love them. I mean, you, you love the, you love alpha and relative to the, um, the command, you think Vince at one point when he's meandering through the, uh, meandering through the mall, he, uh, he comes across a comic book shop and in the comic book shop is a, a, on the cover is alpha, the last boy. And it's instead of it looking like commandy, it's, it's, it's a, it's a young black, black kid, you know? So it looks like the dark. So he's like, he's totally enamored. And it's got on his left is like, instead of talking Tawny, it's like a, an anthropomorphic bear. And, you know, so it's, it's clearly homage to, to commandy. But what's cool is by this time, the boy had already befriended because he saved the life of a giant bear like not an anthropomorphic one, but a bear that he's like riding along with as his, his sidekick. So there's like a not so subtle homage to the fact that like that that Vatin helped build the visual language of this book with his love for Kirby and for uh, you know for for Commandy in particular. Um, and there are, there are definitely other influences too. I mean, clearly there's there's definitely a I guess with most storytellers in French, he's definitely got some Mobius in him in terms of the spaceship design and the the stuff that's set in Mars and, and some of that stuff. But, but it's, it's just a visual tour de force and it's just mind blowing because in a, you know, 150, 200 pages, you know, you go through this, this, this almost the entire history of humanity, uh, all under the narrative of this, this young boy, uh, alpha. So it's uh, it's trippy, you know, anyone that's read any kind of, uh, French comics, even some of the stuff like we've talked about. I mean, this is this is a little bit meta Barons, you know, like it doesn't all make a ton of sense. Like why suddenly the boy has all these powers and all that. it doesn't they don't really pay that off. They don't really give you like a, a hot new entry for it. Like you kind of just have to go with it. Uh, it's, it's pure science fiction. You know, it's kind of just a journey that they're taking you on here. Um, but man, oh, man, is it breathtaking visually. And uh, it's it's absolutely bonkers and and totally up your alley. Totally up your alley, man. It does like, sound like it is. It's yeah. totally up your alley. So, um, so I can't recommend this one uh, more than. I mean, this is of the three. Um, the other two have a very specific audience. This is the kind of thing that we all love in the sense that there's no way this could exist in anything other than comic book form. No one would have the budget of the special effects to do what this book does, um, even today, you just wouldn't have the budget. If you if if they tried to make this into a movie, it'd probably be four different films. They do it in like four parts. Um, so yeah, so New York, N I O U R K by Dark Horse Originals. It's a twenty nine ninety nine cover price. Uh, I think I paid fifteen bucks on DCB service. That's right. But, uh, yeah, it's badass. It's really badass. This is the one of of the three y'all do need to find your time to read at some point, even if it's me bringing it to. The next time we see each other and you can read my copy but <laughs> well i'm on it now i'll buy my own that's fine nice and it's odd because i had a um a discussion with my students just this week about leading with your heart not with your head mm-hmm. i have this one kid we watched um song of the sea have you ever seen that the animation song of the sea mm, i don't think so it's about the silky and the it, it, there's a lot of heart in in the film and after it was over we talk about it and i have this mm-hmm. this one guy who it's you you know the type that just looks for plot holes and mm-hmm. and this didn't make sense because of this and blah 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 and i said if if you take one thing away from this entire experience when you're when you're 
in the middle of art, whether it be a painting or, or, or comics or an animation or anything, lead with your heart, not with your head. Mm-hmm. And you'll be better off for it. I said, does it matter that that thing you discussed about the plot hole, does that really matter? It doesn't have any bearing on the story other than a tiny part of the film didn't make sense to you because of that. Mm-hmm. Why do you dwell on that? Why? If, if, if it ruins it for you because this thing was not logically described, then I think from my experience and from my approach to art, I think you're, you're, you're in this world for the wrong reasons. So what if it doesn't make sense? Like you just said about the, the character getting superpowers and it's not really fully fleshed out. So what? He does. He gets them. That's all you need to know. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. sense of wonder. Suspend some of the logic and the disbelief and, and the, the, uh, the, the need to, to hop from stone A to get to stone B. It doesn't really matter in terms of the big picture. This was a film we were talking about that has tremendous amounts of heart. And the message is unencumbered by any of the things he was talking about. The message mm-hmm. remained the same. Whether or not that part made sense to him, yeah. the, the message was still delivered. That's what you need to take away. You follow your heart, not, not, not your head. There are some things that cannot be translated mm-hmm. into information your brain is going to understand, yeah. like words. You know, like I think like, uh, in the movies, the Miyazaki films are definitely a great oh, example. Oh, exactly. Exa- right? yeah. yeah, you're right. There are some things that are just plain bizarre, but you feel like I um I I, own, I you know I bought that box that it came out a year or two ago, and uh, I I, I put up on I put the Princess Mononoke on for the family, uh-huh. and I love that film. It's, it's but I already almost it. perfect. Yeah, yeah, and and like none of the family really got it. Because they were all like, it's so weird. I don't know what's happening. Like, why did this happen? And I was like, that's, it's just the journey. Like, it's the visual yeah. spectacle. It's the, you're supposed to just in, let it consume you and come away with the feeling of the movie. Like, right. it's like, it, but they were all like, does not compute. And I'm like, ah, it's, I mean, look, I can't listen. Everyone compute, consumes the way they consume, but it, but it was a bummer because I wanted them to fall in love with it so we could watch all the rest of the movies. And, and some of the, 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 the concepts in Mononoke was obviously they, they originate in a culture whose very language can't be accurately transferred to English. Sure, sure. So there's a lot of things in there that, you know, a Japanese person could explain them to you, but they're still not words that can be successfully translated into English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that just shows you that they're working, even though their their language is so incredibly complex, yeah. they, they still cling to the to things that, are felt rather than explained. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dap is being there quiet. That's Dapp, he's on Amazon ordering this book. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm flipping between DCBS and InStock Trace to see who's cheaper. Oh, nice. Wouldn't this? they be the same? No, uh, it's a little cheaper on uh, InStock Trades, but then you have really? to uh, finagle the free shipping. So oh, I might true. just add it to my... Much order. Yes, sir. I did not do my. I'm not going to steer you wrong. This you got. I'm not going to steer you wrong. I don't no, want you guys. I know you. Three, you two don't three the other two, but this is one you'd enjoy a lot. I'm. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm looking at the art, and it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Plus, it's that 
decade spanning story. Like I love things like that. That yeah, and like that's the thing. It's like like what you were saying. Like with the I sent a picture of the. I mean these octopods. Like again, as I'm describing it, people are like that makes no fucking sense. But that's not the point. Like the point is in this world because we're so fucked up environmentally. Scientists bioengineered creatures that could help us get rid of toxic waste, and those creatures over hundreds of years developed their own society and basically overtook the earth like that's all that's you need cool. to know like it's and it's all there like you don't need to fucking like we don't need to under we don't need to all study the dna to see if they splice the right animals together to make this work like it just they're there they look badass like as i described they look very much like organic versions of the creatures from war of the worlds and uh they're fuck great that's awesome I'm yeah in. i'm in oh i have a little bit of wiggle room in this month's order nice I, I've been. I, I don't know if I will. I haven't uh, put it to to paper yet, or added anything to my cart. So, well, we'll the see. patrons know what Dap and I are most excited about. This yeah, week. I didn't do mine yet. I will. No, I know you'll do it. And I was thinking um, about that. I thought maybe because we used to do this back when we had the forums. Since we don't inherently talk about a lot of things on the previews videos that we order because they're kind of givens or they're mm-hmm. in the middle of arcs or. I'm going to start posting on the Patreon my DCBS order each month so they can see everything. So we can like, again, we don't scroll for days. Like, well, no, I mean, <laughs> nah, I don't order as much as I used to because we, we get a lot of comps and we do the digi like we read the yeah. I have Marvel Unlimited. And, you know, I, I like I don't I don't buy physical copy. I buy much less physical stuff other than collected editions than I ever used to. But yeah. still, though, I mean, there's still a bunch more. That right, like, talk. Like, like Tom's. Batman isn't on my DCBS order, but I read it every two weeks because of comicsology. So that yeah, they're absolutely so yeah, I'm I definitely get where Jace is coming from and Vince is funny with the whole scrolling for days. But yeah, no, it, even it, it that would be our our DCBS order, what we're actually getting. Or I mean it would we could even do the unboxing for that sense, but it would um yeah, you love unboxing, man. I will not uh, do an unboxing for you. I'm sorry. I won't. I love you both, uh, but I just, I'm not having it. I, I don't think hey I Hey, man, too cool for school. It's all good. No, right? that's not it. That's not it. It just, they're, they're, they're so trite. Oh, my God. Take, they take the packages out, and they got their little pinkies hanging out like, oh, here's the box that comes in. Isn't it beautiful? And let's go inside. <laughs> just so you know, our, a lot of our... A lot of our friends love that stuff. Well, that's I, I'm more power to them. I do not. I do not. It's okay. We, it's we don't have to love everything. That's right. That's yeah. I'm going to seem like the old curmudgeon this episode. Anyway. You are. I Jesus. know. This episode. I know. Uh-huh. Lately, it's not a roll. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, as usual, this episode has been brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, the very best and getting you your books at low, low prices. For example, from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man number 800. You will see this on my list of things procured from DCBS this month. Um, for a lousy four ninety nine, DC Nation, you will see this on my list for $0.12. Cents. And Red Sonja Tarzan, you will also see this on my list for $1.99. In your travels. So you're ordering two Gale Simone books this month? Yep. No, I'm not. I'm not nice. getting Domino. It's not happening, dude. It's, it's wild, not. Dude. <laughs> I'll, my goddamn I'll heart. get the trade. Okay. What? Are you kidding me? I, I, I can't wait till the next 
like Doc Savage book or the you know the the spirit or something comes out and I'm like, dude, why is that not on your list? You're hurting my heart. And you'd be like, fuck that shit. I'm not getting it. Well, those are public domain characters. They're gonna they're gonna be around forever. This is Domino's one chance to to vault into prominence. And congratulations on your recent acquisition, <laughs> by the way. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Arguably the most beautiful book in my DCBS box this month. Arguably. I don't want to play favorites, but this one is really close to the top, if not at the top. The first issue was written by Ivan Brandon, illustrated by Asad Ribic, with uh, color art by Nick Klein. It is called Verses. I'm stunned. I, I, I finished it a couple of days ago, read it again, read it a third time. The wow. new the, the nuances in this book, um the, the the figure drawing, the pacing, the sequentials, the spaceships and 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 assorted weaponry involved in the battles. Ribic is just he's oh he's so good. Uh again, uh, to articulate how this work makes me feel is tough. Um, it, it, on the surface, it's it's a, a, a broadcasted battle between two opposing forces. It, it's it's kind of like a uh, an American gladiators type thing set in space where you have one group um, battling another group, and and it's 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 televised and there are rules, um, but it's more a commentary on. Uh, commercialism and and advertising and mm-hmm. uh the the battle is 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 stopped in the 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 middle of the battle is just things come to a screeching halt because one of the uh things that are broadcasting the battle needs to take a break or a commercial comes on um and it it seems like even real life is interrupted by commercials like the 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 main character is uh a, an alien, a blue-skinned alien called Sata Flynn, um, and at one point he's uh, hospitalized, and in his 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 legs are rebuilt. And as he's leaving the hospital, everything about his leaving the hospital is televised. I'm saying televised because we're not really sure how this thing is broadcasted, whether it's like mm-hmm. a um, an internet type thing or a. a uh, television or whatever they're they're getting this this footage to the masses and his car ride home is is broadcasted and he pops open a a drink and it shows him drinking and and that's actually a commercial it says commercial message like there's there are pop-up infographics in this comic it's it's amazing just the the visuals alone will will knock you on your ass. The 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 deep commentary on the way things are are turning in this world in which we live, mm-hmm. um, like m- money and commercialism and and uh, advertising are are where it's at. And and this just shows you just how egregious it can become. Like there's pharmaceutical ads when he's in the hospital. And it, it's it's crazy, but I I love Ivan Brandon's work, but so far, 
the 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 hook here for me is Ribic. This is jaw droppingly good. Dude is a beast. Right, Dap. As far as Ribic, yeah, is yes, he, he is. He's, he he can't spell, but he is a fantastic <laughs> artist. Uh, the the um, it's it's a beautiful looking book. I mean, you got freaking gladiator warriors, and it's like there's just it's. Or I'm sorry, Roman. Um, it, it you did way better. I mean, I wasn't trying to give too much away, and and I I, I particularly like the um, a little info thumbs that you get throughout the uh, yeah throughout the issue. The characters there there wasn't there was. I mean, I didn't read it three times, but you. You get the sense of who, at least the important, the one important character was in the first issue, but um, it was it was a solid setup issue as far as plopping you in this world and giving you a sense of of what it's all about and what you can expect. Uh, there wasn't a lot in terms of character development, which. Uh, Depending on how the fights go, you may not want to get attached to anybody, but um, that's really not the focus, at least not yet. So I, I have generally, I kind of want to get to know who it is I'm supposed to be reading about or caring about issue to issue. But that's um, as far as setting up this world and and as so visually pleasing it is, uh, I can overlook um anything that would generally be a um detriment and and there really isn't anything that i would consider that in um in this first issue i think flynn is a very simple character at least i'm assuming he is based on this first issue he's married to the battle yes he he's all about the conflict um and it's like a a uh He's he's got the tactician in him, like like uh, Steve Rogers, where he he gets to. This is the part that, that really made me think that this is a book. This cut is cut from a different cloth. They they have the jump on their 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 foes, and he's just about to decimate the the last guy. And there's a, a video error, like this floating camera thing, like, like much like the ones you see on the football field. Those those drone camera things, and he's just about to destroy this last person, and it says three minute wardily, and this one character her name is Mama Martinez. She's like, what? And the camera comes down and says, we will return to the conflict shortly, and she she focuses she aims her gun at the the drone, and the drone's like, okay, technical foul, you're done, two weeks out of the game, and it, it's like, it's it's a a combat arena, but the the main point of it is that it's also entertainment. Like these are people that are dying, but it's a source of entertainment for the masses. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and, and he gets in the hospital and he's, he's very rude to the doctor. He's like, fuck you. Just tell me when I'm getting out of here. I don't give a shit mm. about anything you're saying. Just get me back on that battlefield. Like that's all he wants to do is the game. Um, it's it's a 
a very jaw-dropping, it's a visceral um, take on, on, on commercialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll it'll make you a little uncomfortable, but I think that's the point. Yeah, it's it's, it's sitting here on my list. I gotta, I should wish I should have gotten on it before you guys. Yeah, talked about it. But highest no, highest no, possible recommendation. All right. Yep. Big doings. Uh, I won't go into. I'm I'm um I'm playing catch up on a couple of things, and one of those things. Um, Includes Bloodshot Salvation. So I am going to read the past couple of issues that I have been slacking on. Uh, So I'll have have the first seven to discuss um, when we get together later this week. But uh, in your travels, read yourself some Bloodshot Salvation so you know what we'll be talking about. Nice. I love foreshadowing. Love it. Uh Uh, nice. In your travels, I wanted to call attention to something that um, we I was approached by uh, Steve Thompson, who is a um, listener of the show, and he alerted me to a project that he is involved with that uh, I definitely thought uh, deserved uh, the attention of, of, of our, our crew, our community. Um, so, so he and some other creators in the UK did an anthology called 24 Stories. And uh, that was to, all proceeds went to um, support uh, the survivors of the uh, Grenfell Tower, which uh, in 2017, in June, there was a fire that uh, burned down a 24-story high-rise in West London, and it killed 71 people uh, and injured tons more. Uh, and it caused a, a massive PTSD uh, in the town. And so this, uh, they created this anthology to help raise awareness on PTSD and help the Gren- Grenfell Tower survivors. And it was really well received. Uh, and, and that led to other creators uh, expressing interest to Steve and his team about getting involved in some way. Because PTSD is something I think we're still all really coming to terms with as a, as a concept um, in particular and, and personally particular interest for me in terms of understanding the kind of uh, baggage that our, our soldiers have had to come back and deal with and, and our really pretty much consistent misunderstanding of, of, of the, of the long-term trauma that uh, going through some of the stuff that they have to go through, um, you know, ends up uh, uh changing their lives. So, so in any event, he reached out and he kind of sent me some information. I looked it over and I really did think it was worth calling attention to. So it is, uh, it's called the 24 panels project. It's a follow up to the 24 stories. And in essence, what they wanted to do is open up this idea beyond the, uh, the original anthology, which is very focused, 12 creators doing stories. Um, and fast forward to now it's, they now have a new EIC, someone that, uh, folks may have heard of. His name is Kieran Gillen. So Kieran heard about this, and he decided he wanted to really help build it up. So he is the EIC of 24 panels. And they've got a, a litany, and I won't go through. They've got a litany of, of, of awesome and amazing creators that are already committed to the project. But probably of most note, especially in today's day and age, um, Alan Moore and Melinda Getty. Uh, Alan's going to write, and Melinda is going to draw uh, a story for the anthology. 
And Steve reached out because he listens to the show and he wanted us to call attention. But the other cool thing about this, Vince, is that he wants to also solicit contributions Ooh. for the project. So um, if you go to 24 Panels blog, so the number is 24, 24 Panels, plural, blog, dot wordpress.com, or just Google 24 Panels. But, um, but if you go there, it will have all the information. But in essence, you could submit your work. Uh, comic story has to be anywhere from one to 24 panels covering no more than five pages of a comic book. Uh, and even gives you like the dimensions and the bleeding. You have to allow for three millimeter bleed, so forth, so on. Um, any number of, cr- of cr- creator stories can be black and white or color. Uh, but they have to be about the themes of hope, unity, positivity, or community. Um, no depictions of gra- extreme violence or whatnot, because this is about dealing with PTSD uh, and then there's information as to how to uh, submit your story, who to submit it to. All submissions have to be in by June 30th, 2018. Uh, the final thing will be, again, printed in some way. He said they may crowdfund it, but uh, because of Kieran and, and Alan and Melinda's involvement, they're they're getting approached to perhaps just straight up publish it with one of the major publishers. That's to be determined. But uh, it sounds like an amazing project for an amazing cause. Uh, and look, who knows, even maybe you can end up one of you, some of you can submit something and be in a book with alongside Alan Moore. How trippy would that be? So uh, one more time, it's 24 Panels Project. It's 24panelsblog.wordpress.com. So check it out. Cool. It does sound good. Yes, sir. Nice. Be the man. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you once again. For being here with us, we appreciate it, and we implore you to check out uh, our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash one one o'clock no apostrophe comics dot. Uh, yeah, we're there. We're on the Facebooks. Come join us. The Twitters, all that stuff. In the meantime, say no to the salty co-host, and be <laughs> here next week because. Good night. David. Oh, good night. Um, David, no, no humming. There was nothing. I was doing a little bit. You probably couldn't hear me, but it was there. I, I like definitely I couldn't there. hear you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it hear. was meek. It was. It was a very, very low, low. Key. Oh. Mm. Not, it was just me. It wasn't Cork. It, was, it wasn't Cork. No. Just oh, okay. silly. All right, everybody. Love you so much. Back uh, in a couple days. It's good hearing from you guys today. Appreciate that. Good mm-hmm. morning. Glad we could all be here. True that. Please. Miss. Click.